Welcome to Rapture, a Bioshock lorecast, where people of the Bioshock fandom can come together to experience life beyond the sea. So buckle into your bathosphere, ready your plasmids, and let's dive in as we explore the history and lore of the Bioshock series. A Bioshock Lorecast. I'm your host, Bakri Kitten, with my co host, Twisted Vice. And today we have a special guest with us. I didn't know you were recording already, okay? Uh, the whole time. <laughs> well, that's where I was like, oh, I'm keeping it in that beginning. Oh, this is all saying. What do you mean? This is important information. Well, that's why I was doing the belts because I thought you guys weren't recording. <laughs> Go ahead and say what your name is. No, we're not doing it. We're fucking nope, nope. not starting over. God damn you. It Welcome is to fine. the club. You want to laugh at the jokes <laughs> to the episodes? You're one of them now. <laughs> I was thrown out of the loop. Uh, uh, we've got our good friend here, Medieval Zombies, with us. The other Bioshock, I wouldn't say expert, but she knows her shit when it comes to Bioshock. She's also uh, the other one that got Valkyrie Kitten into Bioshock besides myself. So she's here. Um, what's the episode about, dear? This episode is about everything that we have had over recently. All the past episodes. This is, uh, quite literally our opinions, what we liked, disliked about everything that we've learned so far. Um, also about how medieval zombies got into it. That's, I think that's what we'll start off this, uh, episode with. What got you into Bioshock? How did you learn about Bioshock? Funny enough, it was my own fiance. Um, I remember we were in high school. I think Infinite had just come out, but I can't remember. I saw the game. I was intrigued by the Infinite artwork. But when we started playing, you're looking it up. I can see it. <laughs> when we started, uh, he told me you may be interested in this game, and it was the original one. Did not come out when we were. It was 2013. I had to remember, okay? <laughs> yeah. I feel too old for to be that young then. Oh, damn. Alright, now I remember now. It was we were playing a game, he knows I'm afraid of scary games. And he mostly because I cannot stop watching. But as soon as something jumps out, I am out of my chair, my ass is out of that room. But then I'm still looking through the door to see what happens. See, I, I kind of the same way with scary games. When I was a kid, uh, there was a game that used to come out. It was called The Suffering. The ah. uh, basis of the game was you were a prisoner trapped, basically. I think it was like in purgatory was the whole thing of it. But you were in prison, and all, 
these monsters started like killing people in the prison and each monster was represented by the way that they were killed in prison like uh, lethal injection or gas or electrocution each monster had a representation of how they were you know killed so there was a scene towards the beginning of the game where you go into a bathroom and when you open up one of the stall doors like two monsters are standing right next to you there's no one in there and as soon as you open up the door they just pop up right next to you i remember playing the demo for that it scared the absolute piss out of me so much that I got up, turned my Xbox off, and watched TV. <laughs> my dad from the other room went, are you okay? And I went, yeah, just, you know, uh, got bored of the game. So, that, I understand the scary game. That almost sounds like me and the first time I watched you play Dead, uh, Dead Space. The, uh, the scene with the baby. Oh, in Dead Space 2? Yes, where the ladies, you know, try and get the baby to come to her, and it's like, oh, that's so cute. Baby explodes. Like, what the... I remember you just laughing while I'm freaking out. It's like, what the? Why? Why would you do that? Like, why didn't you worry? Why should I? Why should I? It's fun. And I'm also detecting a common theme here because I got you into Bioshock. Her fiance got her into Bioshock. Hmm. Oh, shut up. I swear it's not planned. I wasn't much of a video game uh, person when I was younger. I mean, I did play the basics. I played the original Spiral. I remember playing... uh, we used to have the uh, arcade, the original arcade system in my house of Mario. Uh, but I remember playing occasionally a game, but I wasn't into it. Uh, uh, my fiance was huge in the game, so I wanted to spend more time with him. Uh, he introduced me, and in- instantly the main opening, hearing the theme, seeing the atmosphere, the water physics, the um, even then it had a little bit of a lens flare, it seemed like, and it just drew me. And he just kept playing it. And he had me play it, and I didn't know how long time went by before I was like, wait, I need to go home. See, I remember the when you showed it to me, the first one you showed me wasn't the original Bioshock. It was Bioshock 2, and you had it. I remember we were upstairs, and you're like, oh, I got this game. I think you would love it. You need to try it. And it's like, okay, but this ain't the first one. You got to get the first one first. This is the second one. Okay, okay, I'll try it. And I've been hooked on it since then. Like, Jeez, I played the first and second one before I even met you, I think. And had them played and beat. And that was probably when I got the big brass balls achievement in the second one. Oh, I still yeah. am mad. Way I before I even met you. Still mad. I, I Actually, that was like a year before you and I started going out. Yeah, I think so. Quite literally, that was our, our sophomore year. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I remember it was... I got the Xbox 360 for the first time. It was a Christmas present. My fiance convinced my parents to get me. And that was like some of the list of the games. He gave me a pizza box, and in the pizza box was all these video games. I, yeah, I remember you sending me a picture going, look what I got while we were on Facebook and everything. It's like, bitch, we'll be over here in a little bit. <laughs> Let's see what you got. Like, like her, I mean, I even start out with, you know, the old time games and, you know, old time machines and everything. I mean... Old time machines? You guys had time machines? <laughs> Shut up. You get what I mean. We Gaming machines. We had some hard, hard lives here. Okay? Just saying. I mean... I never got a time machine. <laughs> I mean, uh, we had the GameCube. Mm-hmm. We had the Nintendo 64. Yes. Uh, because of you, uh, I Sega. got the 360. Because yeah. you gave me the white one that yeah. I had for quite a while. Because my family at the time 
wouldn't allow me to have one. So I just had an extra one laying around that I wasn't using no more because I bought an Xbox One. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, we've all got a background, I guess, in video gaming. Probably, I might be the most veteran gamer out of all of us, though. Yes, very much For so. Sure right now, yeah. I mean, See, I remember growing up going over to my aunt's house and she had an NES hooked up and we would play mm. Mario, we would play Duck Hunt, we would play Family Feud. I had this dumb Fisher Price game that was like a match game where you had to like match the shapes and the holes and there was no other way you could do it because it would only fit in those and it, yeah. Did you ever that, actually play the original Lion King game? No, oh, I never had a Sega girl. Our, our daughter, that. our daughter has it for her Switch. Yeah, the never, original uh, Aladdin too. Oh god. Yeah, I never played those growing up because I never had a Sega. We were more uh, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, above Sega, I guess. See, we so also we never had the did the basic computer stuff too. See, we had a computer too. We did, yeah, the same. See, the games I grew up with is oh my god, the first and foremost one, Mortal Kombat. Oh, like, oh my god. Uh, I know my brother, sister, and I always would have like a tournament of battling each other kind of thing. You know, going against each other on who was better and everything. Like, there was that. Um, the old NASCAR games. Oh my god. I had NASCAR 98 for the N64. Like... There was those uh, <laughs> Pac-Man, the Pac-Man. We had the Pac-Man too. I missed Pac-Man. I, I actually missed that. I used to get so bored playing the NASCAR games by myself that I would drive backwards on the track just to fuck people's cars up. <laughs> <laughs> then I turned it off because I was bored. And then as we got older, let's see, uh, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk was another one. All the Tony Hawk. Um, games. All the football games. Games. I can't remember the name of the actual Madden. game. Madden. Yeah. See, we played. We had. The one Madden I remember having the most was 2002, only because I think it had Dante Culpepper on the front of it. I don't know. But I definitely remember it being 2002. That was the one that we played the most, and we never got another Madden game after that. Which is funny, because we were just received a bunch from a, oh, a friend. For, for the Wii. Yeah, for the Wii. Madden on the Wii. I don't know. I noticed there was some... And then let's see. I I also had a habit of pay, uh, playing Resident Evil on my GameCube. Uh, Resident Evil Zero was my all-time favorite. I feel like fireworks are good. I know. Uh, the only Resident Evil game I grew up playing was Code Veronica X. Never played it. And so, I never even played it through all the way. I so played, like, the first ten minutes of it and got bored because I didn't know what I was doing. And see, you know I'm obsessed with Resident Evil, the movies. I own all of them but the brand new one. Yeah. I have, do not own that yet. I will own it at some point. But I haven't played that one. I don't. And I know I need to. Another game um, trilogy, I guess you could call it, that I was obsessed with. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Legend of Zelda. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I played Twilight Princess, and I love Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess is my favorite. I didn't play any before that. Yes, I know I'm going to have people who are going to be mad at me for it, but it was the graphics. I did not like the graphics before that. They sucked for me. 
played the I never played a Zelda game before we had a GameCube, and then they come out with the the bundle with the GameCube that had the Zelda disc that had Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and the Wind Waker demo on it. And that was my first ever exposure to the Zelda games. Seriously. Seriously. And now we own the one for our Wii's. Uh, and yeah. our Wii's, our Breath Switches. The Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Yep. Still waiting on but, yeah, that was my first experience in the Zelda. That'd be great and all if this was a video game podcast, but yeah, I think we should yeah. be talking about Bioshock <laughs> by now. Yeah, <laughs> Got yeah. a little off topic on a tangent, but... Okay, hey. but... Alright, uh, since we get how, we learned how you started out with Bioshock, let's go with... Who's your favorite character? Yuli. Why? I don't know why. I, I have a... I love bees. I love her... Her firmness when it comes to the trees. Just finally the scene where Ran uh, Andrew Ryan is calling to her, the, the way he sung her name, the way she reacted to it, that whole scene just sticks to me more than anything else. And uh, I mean, I remember her, her one of her audio podcasts and she was talk, talking about um, Beastbit for when they were trying to get the uh, bee plasmid mm -hmm. and you had to go to the farmer's market and you came across in one of the uh, uh, one of the vents there in this front of the doorway I remember there was the diary and she goes that's right baby your mama's gonna get some bee spit or something to that degree and it was the, the vibrancy in her voice and I don't know anytime I think about her I just remember how much emotion each of the characters when they were either talking to her or how she was talking back how that was going and even when she was dying she was still like Okay, I need to save my forest. I need to save the trees. So as he was dying, he still made time to put down the code. And for years later, I still had that code memorized. I can't remember it now because <laughs> I'm on right now. We're replaying other games, which I'm not going back on to so we don't get into a tangent. <laughs> but she was always my favorite character. Okay, so that's your favorite character. Now, who is your least favorite? It's, it's a very complicated thing with that. I kind of, kind of between Santa Comic and the first one, and then honestly, you're gonna be mad at me, Elizabeth. No, 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 because I understand Elizabeth. As I said in the very first episode, Elizabeth is another one who I kind of can't stand. Uh, it's just. We've talked about this. We have. We have. Yeah, it, we've talked about it. It's just uh, something about her that is kind of like, it just, it gets slightly annoying. She is an amazing character, what they could have done. I think it was just more of the same premises was already done in two. Yeah. And with, uh. Better. Eleanor. Yeah, with Eleanor. Well, Why did I want to say Elliot for some reason? Well, look back, though, at the release cycle for Infinite. The initial trailer that came out for the, the announcement was completely different than the fin the final yeah. product. So I think probably they may have had a different direction that they were wanting to go with her and couldn't. Or something happened that they couldn't go that one direction that they wanted to go with her, so they had to go that other direction. I remember that trailer, yeah. I remember seeing what she almost seemed to have like some sort of psychic powers that included the roses and... I, w I was excited about that because yeah. I wanted to see what the fuck they were going to do with it. And then we in were introduced to a woman that 
her powers are awesome, but it can only be used as an assisting. Yeah. And that's what it, it, it circled around to her getting. And I know there's probably people out there is like, well, if you look at it in this way, yeah. But if you look in the other way, it's the whole symbol of her going from one point to to another point and realizing what's going on with that. And it, it's neat, but to me, when I looked at her, I just kind of saw a pal Eleanor Lamb who was given this power and I was like, yeah, call me as soon as it's called. So you just immediately stabs a splicer, kills here, throws fire plasma, annihilates them. You call her to help and she, she clears the field. Eleanor sees more chattier. So you can get a combo from her, yeah. Uh, with Elizabeth, you can get uh, emotions, but the emotions are one thing if it doesn't doesn't do anything for the main character you're playing with, I guess. Yeah. Although they did have that scene with Tarzan playing octopus <laughs> with the guitar. That's no, that's no, no. No, oh, no wait, that's an infinite. That's the when they're in. Uh, where they were trying to get the kid out. No, I I know where it's at, but I've been because I've been doing just so much research on just Bioshock, the first one, that my brain is currently not full. Of I knew it was second. something with Troy but Baker yeah. playing guitar and singing a yeah, song, Booker but I couldn't remember two incidents. With <laughs> I was that, gonna though, say I couldn't remember which one it was. <laughs> that's yeah. why I'm like I'm looking back and I'm like God, how many how many scenes was that now in Infinite where they yeah, had that that's exact when, thing? Uh, that's when Booker's they're downstairs like in a downstairs basement kind of area and Booker grabs a guitar and sits down and then Elizabeth starts singing. That was to get the kid out. I don't remember that part. Well, they, they came down and saw a kid run back under because he got spooked and they were walking and C was singing and C put an apple on the Oh, legs. that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. That's what it was. Like I said, I've, I've just been doing nothing but the first Bioshock research, so. You're good. Bioshock. Just to be putting it clear, my system of it is my favorite to least. Bioshock 1, Bioshock 2 is DLC, Minoristan, Bioshock 2, Bioshock Infinite's DLC, Burial C, and then Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> See, I love, I love, okay, I'll be honest. You're entitled to your opinion. I, I will be, be wrong. I will be absolutely honest. Other than the DLC for Bioshock Infinite, and it's only the first DLC, I haven't played any of the other DLCs for any of the games. I haven't played this part two, and I have not played Majora's Den, um, whatever. Majora's Den. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're stuck on Majora's Mask there. Uh, apparently so. Uh, but mine, like I've said before, has been first Bioshock, Infinite, Bioshock 2. Because it seems like 2 is just a repeat of 1 to me. I have so much to say on that, but I'm going to hold it back and keep it going. Alright, since we've got pretty much a background of that, let's get talking about all of our past episodes. Well, first I want to pose a question to you, my evil zombies. Um, Andrew Ryan, hmm. you weren't part of our discussion for it, but I know you've listened to the episode. and Probably you've heard the part where I've talked about how... Andrew Ryan, because the government wanted his forest, he basically burned it all to the ground. Yes. Do you think that 
Andrew Ryan is just basically a giant child. Yes. Or do you feel that there is some basis of reality that he is living in where he feels he is right to his core that he even believes that he is above government rule? I do think it's both. As weird as that may seem, it's just... I think with the background that he had, it it did mess with him to where he's finally able to be free with what he wants to do. Growing, uh, going, I mean, as a kid, he had all that rough stuff, and then even before Rapture happened, he was being watched. KBG, all of that, they were watching him. So now in Rapture, he has the freedom to actually do what he wants. He has the power. He can do what his inner child want, and he is governing his own city to a degree. But at the same time, if you were to tell someone that they colored blue in a red spot, and they said no, and then you recorded it, or you you videotaped it and showed it to them, they would still say no, I don't remember that. Um, I think he's one of those ones where he's so stuck in his own head with that that he cannot process with anyone else for it. He's so trapped in his own thoughts that he cannot possibly think anyone else's thoughts. He can't see from their point of view. So what did you think about when you know, when you found out that instead of letting the government get a hold of that force, he just burned it? Like, did you think he did the right thing? Or do you think he could have done something different? I don't necessarily think it was right to burn down an entire forest. But, again, he, he, like she said, he's stuck in his own head and his own ways. And it's that mentality of, well, if I can't have it, then no one can. I mean, yeah. it, it was his. To have somebody come and just take it away from you. I mean, you see that in today's society anyways. Yeah. I mean. Right. And, th- again, that's still that whole, but if I can't have it, then no one can. There, I mean, there's going to be a, a pro and cons both sides. But the biggest thing to me is there are certain things that you, you may own it, but you because of what it is you can't just keep it in your closet kind of said and if someone else i mean if it's something like that yeah i get it hey that's my land but he definitely doesn't have to because that's a big argument right now for anything it's like hey this is my land okay but is this someone cutting down the oldest the world's oldest tree you wouldn't want to do that if you knew someone was if you knew a tree had been there for you have documents of it and for all we know in that forest it could have had that yeah it could have had uh it could have had environmental surprises it could have had anything and if he had found it god he would have he would have jumped on that he would have done that but he would have made it worthy of him he wasn't going to do something if it wasn't for him at that point yeah, I, I feel like that's his whole mentality throughout. I mean, you see it a lot in Bioshock, especially with the building of Rapture. He wants to be away from the public eye. He doesn't want people watching him and seeing what he's doing. But at the same time... He wants to watch over people. He wants yeah. to see what they're doing, wants to keep them underneath his thumb. He, he wants to be his own governmental entity. And he wants to be controlling... But he doesn't want to, I feel, impose the ideas of the big governments. He wants people to feel free, but the whole time he's in the background going, no, you can't do that. This is my 
Yeah, that sounds pretty much like Andrew Ryan throughout the entire game. And of course, anything like any of the stuff that we have gone over here in the some of the backgrounds of like people like uh some of the stuff that even Fontaine, at Fontaine slash Atlas, you know, turn around and it was his, and then you know after Fontaine, you know after Fontaine died, uh quote and all that, um, that Ryan took it. It was like, this is mine now. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it, Fontaine. His his whole point of view, I thought, I just kind of had the moment of realization. At first I thought, he knows it's not his, but he wants it. And then I, then I remembered when he did lose his shit, as soon as he found someone who claimed it, that made him angry. Because he actually built that himself when he made his own company. Others, he finds joy in taking it. He knows it's not his. He has no problem saying, yeah, that was yours, now mine. But the one thing that he built himself, that's what pushed him into anger. Yeah. All right, well. I just kind of wanted that input on Andrew Ryan from her. She sure. wasn't included in our discussion on that one, so. Yeah. So if we're looking at our episodes back, we'll then. start with Jack and Jasmine. Yeah, Jack and Jasmine. How'd you feel about the the main character you play as and his mother. I didn't know how too much to feel about Jack. We didn't see too much of him, to be honest. The only thing I saw, I remember, um, were the sneak peeks of uh, two. When you saw the portrait of... And I didn't... Heck, I didn't even know... The only, and then the, the end, the big secret of one, where you saw the picture of him. And I was like, oh, that's who I am. Because... You didn't. You weren't able to look down at the water reflection. Yeah, there was there were no mirrors to see your face or stuff yeah. like that. And I didn't even really know about the tattoo much until two when they had, it was almost like uh, religious paintings of his tattoo with the chain broken on his yeah. wrist, uh, and still in his sweater, you can see a bit of the sweater <laughs> on his arm. They still kept that. I love that bit. How do you feel about Jasmine selling Jack to Fontaine? Now, this is something that's going to be discussed later on. I know it is because it's relevant to plot information for another game. But um, Bioshock Infinite stole from Bioshock 1 with that. I mean, so yeah. Just saying. I don't really think there's an original thought in Bioshock Infinite. Well, I think what it was, uh, Infinite had, like, he probably replayed one, and then he, or he had one, but he wanted to do something greater with it, and that was supposed to be Infinite, so it's probably like one was already made. Yeah, he, he I, th I think it was, he wanted, to, like, like you said, he wanted to do one, wanted to do one better. Wanted a true sequel. Let me see if we, there's any possible way, like, to message them and see if they'd be willing to either talk to us or message us. I know Good luck a, with that. <laughs> I know yeah. it'd be a lot um, of work, but hey, you never know. There's been people true. out there that's been very lucky with this kind of stuff. I did get a hold of one of the uh, when I was, one before Andromeda was coming out for Mass Effect, I, when I was able to tweet out to one of the producers and get an answer back from one of that. So, well, I, I mean, mean, I did, I did get a response from Troy Baker. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I we got to we, meet Troy yeah, Baker. Yeah, we met him at a convention here, and uh, he was a really cool dude. Uh, 
she brought up her copy of Bioshock Infinite because, of course, that was the thing around then. You signed it, see you uh, in I, Paris. I brought a copy of, like, one of his first voice-acted games, which was <laughs> a World War II shooter, and I just set it down in front of him, and he was just in shock. He was like, I didn't know nobody really knew about this game. He's like, this was one of my first roles. He's like, you honor me by bringing it. Yeah, this. he gushed for, like, ten minutes as we were standing and, there talking to you him. You know, it was cool because, you know, it brought that, uh, you know, that feeling back to him, and he was like, oh, I remember this. This is awesome. Then he kind of took the book out and then just kind of made a little scribble, like no real signature, no real nothing. And I was kind of a little hurt by it. It's like, you know, I bring you this thing that I dug deep into your, you know, your background. And I remember this. This is one of my favorite games growing up. And this is what I get. So I kind of tweeted at him about it a little bit. And he, you know, tweeted back. He's like, well, damn, it was a moment that I, you know, was excited about. Sorry. You know, he wasn't coming off dickish and he wasn't coming off rude, but... I kind of felt like an asshole afterwards. I was like, you know what? He is right. I kind of do feel a little bit like an asshole because... You did have a crowd behind you. I did no, have actually, a crowd behind me. Actually, well, no, there were a few people behind us. I mean, yeah, us, there was a few, but surprisingly, he didn't have, a, like, a big group. I, but also, at the time, there was other big-name people there. I, I also so. think it was more or less of the... He was just so taken aback by someone remembering this game that... You know, he just kind of overwhelmed real quick. I'm like, here you go. I'm like, uh, I'm glad someone knows this. You know, <laughs> just excitement, really. Excited walrus. Didn't, didn't really know Stop what to it. do with it. Although I really kind of wish I would have gotten, like, you know, a quote from the game from him or something. Kind of like, like how like, like how I did. He did on hers. Yeah, because I got, oh, for mine, he signed it. Uh, see you, what was it? See you in Paris. Yeah, see you in Paris. Love Booker. Yeah. Just gonna see that you know, I sit there and say Booker, and our dog's head pops up. Yeah, and we even, he and I even kind of had a small conversation about the game itself, too. About how, you know, he, the game in reference, by the way, is uh, Brothers in Arms Road to Hill 30. It's an old World War tactical shooter. It was a lot of fun. It was, when it came out, it was kind of one of the more realistic games at the time. So when it came out, you know, I, I fell in love with it. It was right in line with my interest at the time. So when I found out that Troy Baker was the voice of Matthew Baker, I was like, of course I'm going to go get this autograph. This is my favorite game. And then he and I had a conversation about it and talking about the emotion and the line delivery. And when you get to the third game, he gives a monologue how the basis of the third game is basically, I'm getting off on a tangent, never mind. <laughs> the basis of the third game is basically about this cursed gun. It, it was given to him by his father in, before he went to war, and they feel it's all cursed. So at the end of the game, he basically talks about how the gun, it's just a gun. It's its just a goddamn gun, is what he says. And that's what he and I talked about. I was like, I love that fucking line. <laughs> And, you know, it, it was just the excitement of everything. But, uh, yeah, I feel like an asshole with Troy Baker. And I, if if, if it, uh, in some sort of way this somehow gets to him, I'm sorry. I want to apologize. I appreciate what you did. And I was young and younger and dumb. I'm a little bit older and wiser now. And I see the mistake in my ways. I appreciate it and I apologize. I admit, I when we went and I got to meet Troy Baker, I 
felt like a giddy schoolgirl. Like, I was so excited. God, I don't think you were as excited as I was. Like, I, the fact that, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I was excited because of some other um, people that we were there to see, but the fact that Troy Baker was there, and if I remember correctly, we didn't know he was supposed to be there when we saw the list. It wasn't until we were walking through that you pointed him out to me. I got a photo of him and everything, and then the next day we came back with our games yeah. to get signed. Yep. Because it, his name wasn't on the list because there was other big-name people they were kind of spotlighting. And then, you know, smaller ones, just like the dude you got signed up there. Oh, Casper Van Dien. Yeah. Like... So, when I saw him, like, I was so shy to go up to him to get a picture. I remember there was nobody in line. He was standing there. And I remember you pushing me there going, go. No one's there. And, you know, I got up there. And the minute, like, we were, like, got up there to him, like, he was all, like, hey, how are you doing? And, like, giving, you know, handshakes and oh, everything. super friendly guy. Super nice. Uh, extremely nice gentleman. Like, I was still so ecstatic. Like I remember us when the day was done, we went we're heading home for the first day and just being so you know, we were talking about it in the car, just how excited I was. Like I didn't expect somebody to be that nice. You know, I kinda you know, you hear about these big name people and you know, they have a bad reputation about them. Not saying he does, but you hear about some of these others that do. That it kind of makes me like not want to go up to them. Like, is this person gonna be a nice one? Is this person gonna be like the ones I've heard before who kind of get you know a snotty? Oh, here I sign this and go. Yeah. No, he was complete opposite. Was a real sweetheart. And if I ever have the opportunity to meet him again, I would be beyond ecstatic. Like. Honestly, and you know, it's gotten to the point that any other you know games or stuff that he's in, we're like, oh, that's Troy Baker. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, as you were talking about meeting him, I was trying to remember probably what was the most recent release around that time, and I kind of want to say maybe it was Arkham Origins. I think he it did was the voice of the Joker in Arkham Origins, and I think that was his most recent release around that time. Uh, what year was it? 2012, 2013? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Our lanyards, I still have them. They're out here somewhere. It's whenever, wherever uh, Mark and them were in here. We're yeah. in. But it's just, you know, amazing. I, so if. 2015. That's when it was. So if any of you listeners ever get the chance to meet Troy Baker I and you're shy and don't know whether or not to go up to him like at a convention or whatever I will let you know this he is the sweetest guy take the opportunity go up and talk to him he is more than happy to talk to you he took a good 10-15 minutes out of his time to talk to us and it was a legit conversation, not one of those hurry-up kind of conversations. He was actually giving you feedback of 
how he felt when he did those, you know, it was just beyond amazing. But, but anyways, so Jack and Jasmine, mm-hmm. how, okay, when you very, for the very first time, you know, open up Bioshock, you're at the beginning, he's on the plane. Heard his voice. That was Heard his crazy. voice. Plane goes down. So you kind of see how everything's progressing. You know, never. You know, you have this idea of what what you think is happening, and then everything's thrown for the loop. He finds out that Jasmine Jolene was his mom later on in the game. Andrew Ryan's his father. How did you feel about that? The first time I played it, I didn't fully comprehend what was going on. Like I remember. Remember the scene, and you hear being told what Jasmine had done, seeing her murder playing out, and then it came to the big reveal of how it was connected to your character. And it, I admit, at that, at the first time I played it, I was in such a rush to go through because I thought I was being timed because of the warning lights. The, at the time, there was so much going on. The, the place was, I, I thought, was going down. I didn't really look through everything the first time. I picked up the audiophile, played it, went through. I didn't really look at the connection chart they had going on with the board, the pictures connecting them to your character. I didn't fully comprehend it. Aaron had to later go back to me and go, hey, did you really do that? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I was on an adrenaline rush. I was going through. I thought I had to kill someone. Basically just hit the I mean, ground you ten- and took off. You, you, yes. te- you technically did. Like, how did you feel about that? him having no choice but to kill his father? His dad not giving him that choice, but saying the code words, would you kindly kill me? Pretty much. And you taken the golf club and beat the fuck out of him. Yeah, but you gotta remember, though, that is also psychological conditioning that was imprinted on him since he was a child. And see, Andrew Ryan knew about it. He didn't at first, and then, but he slowly caught on. It, Just like I, he slowly, he, close to the end, he, Andrew Ryan realized, that's my son. Instead of trying to, you know, stop the conditioning, he uses it and has his own son murder him. But... It also goes along with the tattoos that are on Jack's wrist. A man chooses a slave obeys. The code wor- the code phrase, would you kindly, cements him into that a slave obeys category. He, that's why Andrew Ryan did it. That's why he said, would you kindly, you know, basically kill me. Because he's giving you the choice as Jack. Well, not you don't really get the choice. It's all a scripted scene. We know what happens anyways. But it, it's he's poising that choice to Jack as you know, I'm using this code word, but you're your own person. Do you follow this? Do you obey this? Or do you choose your own path in life? Do you choose? Are you choosing to kill me? Or is this code word, you know, are you obeying to kill me? Do you think Andrew Ryan purposely turned off the vital chamber, or do you think he didn't realize that it wasn't working? I think he turned it off on purpose. What about you? I I think he did. I I feel like he turned it off on purpose for the simple fact of Rapture's already in its descent. It's already declined. 
you know, it's, it's on its final legs. It's, you know, it's gonna happen anyways. He's gonna go off his way? Yeah, what's the point of him sticking around? I kind of thought it was similar to exactly burning his forest down. Yeah. Kind of similar. It was he he was destroying everything he created. He wasn't going to let anyone else out there. But this time he went with it. He went down with the ship. Yeah. So, cuz there was nothing else. I mean, this was what he put all his heart into. Is it was going down with your ship, but burning it down. Yeah. I don't know if they list actual ages, but you got to kind of think he's getting up there in 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 age probably. Not like super high. He probably what, 60s maybe. I'd have to go back through my notes and see when he was born and everything and just kind of do the math of when Jack crashed and everything because I know we said when Jack crashed and all that. So just basic math, which at this moment I cannot do because I don't have any of my notes in front of me and math and me do not get along. You don't really need notes for discussion. <laughs> uh, I will say something that's a little off topic. Uh, the would you kindly kind of reminds me of stuff from the clones. Oh. Well, that's one because you and I have been wa like madly watching like, like it the lately. Like chips and the clones? Yeah. Mm, kind of. It's different though. I, I mean, I know, but. That with the clones, I mean. That Let's not get on that because I do not need Disney after our ass. That, that was implanted in them from, you know, embryonic stage pretty much. Whereas, I mean. This was psychological conditioning. Uh, yeah, good point. Like, I, I I don't know about you, but listening to the audio diaries of when Jack was a baby, not a baby, but when Jack was little and hearing him not have a choice but to murder the puppy he had, that was kind of slightly heartbreaking to me. It's like, okay, I know this is a video game, but and I'm just hearing it. I'm not seeing it, but that's still, still heartbreaking. Him not getting the choice and having to kill his puppy? And that's one of those things about games and, you know, Bioshock in general is they took the time to do this background and do this uh, exposition in the back of your character's background to make you feel those emotions. You know, that, that's... I love games for this. When, when they do this kind of thing, when they when they do that exposition and that background character building to make you love the game even more, you know, because it could have just been a simple run and gun with no real background information. You're this character. This is your job. Go do this, you know, but they peppered in those audio files and all that other stuff throughout the game perfectly, I think. I, I believe so, too. So, when it comes to Jasmine, do you feel like she deserved her death, or do you feel like her death was sad, I guess? Remind me, she died at the hands of Ryan? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because Ryan found out what she did. Yeah. And that's not the one that worked at Hephaestus, right? No. She was a... A showgirl, I guess you can kind of say. She's the one that uh, Sang was underneath Sandra Conan and all that. I mean, we don't know about that part, but no, because we know what Sandra Conan, we'll get onto him in here, but we know Sandra Conan that really didn't swing that way. But uh, 
she was, you know, a... It basically sounds like a showgirl. Fort Yeah. Yeah, that's where she was at. She was at the club in the Fort Follick. She was a dancer. Exotic dancer. And it cost more to get the money for it. Yeah. But, yeah, she, I mean, giving away the embryo, Jack, to Fontaine and Dr. Uh, Yu Xiu Chong and, you know, for money. And then getting killed by Ryan because of it. Do you think she deserved it? Because she didn't tell Ryan about the embryo and she just gave it away for money? Well, or here's my question, though, with that. Do you think if she knew what was going to happen or that there would be some sort of... Repercussion? Well, not that. Not, not no, not... If she gave the 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 embryo away, she was gonna die. Not that. If she knew that something would have happened to the embryo, like the psychological conditioning or something like that, do you think she would have gave it up, or do you think she would have talked to Ryan and said, "Hey, we're having a baby"? Then that kind of comes down to the same thing of how do you think Ryan's gonna react? I I feel like she wouldn't have given it away. What? Brain thought. I don't know. She gave away the embryo. Brian okay. can't have it. No one can. Oh, yeah. That sounds about right. If, if, you know, it's his child. She gave it away. She can't have no more kids now. Mm -hmm. If he can't have it, no one can. I'm starting yes. to check that a lot with Andrew Ryan. Do you think Andrew Ryan would have been a good father? No. No. Not with how he was then. Definitely. Yeah. I think he would have turned his son kind of I think he would have turned Jack into how Jack is now but underneath his control I, I don't even think that I, mm -hmm. I think to be honest he would either try to get Jack to follow his footsteps and be better than him or would have killed him himself no, I don't oh. think he would have killed him I, I think he would have tried to get him to follow his footsteps or something different. I, you know, I don't really remember what Jack's surface background was. It wasn't really... Farmer family. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that's the life Andrew would have wanted for Jack. Maybe. I don't know. You gotta, you know, Andrew's got some twisted ideals. I... I, I think if it has him as a father, it would have been one of those... He has a picture of it. You're drawing outside the picture... You need to get in line for that. You're free to do what you want, but it has to be within this picture. And so he probably, I do believe he would either disown his son at which point, I don't know what would happen, how he would have, or he would have pushed him to his own death by saying, you need to be better. You need to be bigger. You need to be braver, stronger than all of this. Yeah. Kind of situation. Yeah, I kind of see that one too. He, I mean, I know growing up he probably would have had it's one of those things where maybe if he had grown up with him it would have um, maybe he would have changed having a kid growing up but I don't know if he would have put the time and day aside. it depends on the whole situation if he would have had someone raising if he would have wanted someone to raise the child if he would have been the active component in yeah. raising the child if so I mean it's hard for me to imagine someone not changing as you're seeing someone grow and experience stuff but he had such a weird 
mentality at that point that See, and yeah, I don't know. That I brings mean, up another question though. Yeah. If Andrew raised Jack, would Andrew still be the Andrew at the end of the game compared to you know, if he had raised Jack, would he have changed himself a little bit? You even? also got you also have to remember what Andrew Ryan went through at the beginning of his life. He watched his dad get murdered. I know. That's why at first I was like, I don't know if you want to raise him how he wished his father had raised him, but at that point with his mentality, I don't know how that would have affected it. If he would have regressed back to that point where he remembered being a child like that, or if it was he was so firm on what's happening now which is what seems a lot of people in rapture were is a lot of them were getting to the point where they couldn't think of tomorrow they were getting through the day versus him was thinking of now yeah i'm seeing the future but i'm seeing my future now he has someone else he has to see their future for but is it theirs or is it him with him next to him yeah kind of thing is, so, it, is it his own future that he can mold himself or is it the future Ryan wants more. Well, let's move on to the next episode. Next one would be about Frank Fontaine slash Atlas. Okay, I'll first off, I will be honest. When I played Bioshock the first time and I found out that Atlas, who you think is your friend, turns out being the one who's screwing you over in the end and is Frank Fontaine... I was pissed. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I thought you were my buddy. So wait, what about your wife and kid? And then to find out that that whole thing was a, a bullshit lie to you, I was like... He's the orphaned villager you adopt in your D&D campaign that turns out to be the BBEG. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But that, I admit, that... That quite literally kind of ticked me off there, the very first time. As as I play it now, like over and over and over and over, it's like, how the hell did I not realize that? Like there were so many hints. Yeah, I was gonna say. How I, did I not realize it? It's been a minute since I've played through the Bioshock games, and it's definitely been a minute since I've pretty much played. Them, is where I was trying to say. It, it's it's been so long that a that I really don't remember a lot of the, like, story flow for Bioshock. Like, I remember enough to remember things, general knowledge. That's why you're doing all the research. But I remember enough to know basic knowledge of Bioshock, but don't remember enough to that I've paid attention to those little minute details of is there hints throughout the game that he's not who he says he is? Is there... You know, in his tone of voice, is he saying something some way to, you know, lead on that he's not who he says he is? There, I mean, there were audio diaries, but uh, you don't get them until after the game. But depending on, I just, God, imagine if your Bioshock Spirit had come up in a different part of the town and you got a hold of that beforehand. I mean, he had to have planned for this stuff before all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, for we already knew he did, but. I mean, he's the reason why your character, yeah. Jack, is there in the beginning. Yeah, anyway, say all the way down to the plane crash well, at the, the exact lighthouse. Well, the, the one audio diary um, where he 
Rake's character, he's he's so, so confident in himself, and he's talking about it, and then he gets interrupted, and he tries to slip back into it. If that audio diary had moved, if someone had already picked it up, or if uh, maybe the body got into the water and washed up somewhere else, the, the implications that could have done, I mean, anyone else who'd found it, God, the entire, his, at that point, he was in the middle of the war. He, there was still stuff like that little slips was probably in the game I, there were little small things that he could not I mean he did that and he left it there so he's not as smart as he likes to think he is he is incredibly or smart do you think maybe he did it on purpose because he knew nobody was caught. sound of mind either that wanting to get caught or nobody would challenge him he's already in a war with Ryan Yeah. you know he's already going against the top dog Everybody so else is already else pretty is, much spliced up. Yeah, who There's else not is really gonna challenge sane, him. Pe- sane people anymore. Besides Ryan, who else is going to really challenge him, you know? So Booker. do you think maybe he might have did that on purpose with that slip-up and left it there? I don't I don't think it was more of a purpose waiting for someone to find it as much as he was cocky that at that point there's nothing else he could do. Or not that he could do, like you were saying, there's, there's nothing, no one else was... At that point, there was no need for a vacade anymore. What about, though, down to the whole planning aspect of everything? What if it, you know, just happened to be one of them planned things that he kind of, not necessarily planned for, but he did it on purpose. He, he did it on purpose to, say, leaving it where it was in hopes of maybe someone would catch him. someone to realize how how big he had been into it how much he had planned and yeah okay um maybe he did the slip up on purpose to be like haha i'm still alive as frank fontaine you didn't know it but here i am come get me i can see him doing that but i see it more of like uh at the when the villain when the good guy has been captured the villain making his monologue it was I all this time. I planned this. You fell into my dastardly trap, and then he goes in big detail for it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't see him as someone who would leave little hints along the way. I don't know. I still kind of like that. I, I feel like he left it on purpose. He could have. Just to see if maybe someone could challenge him. How do you feel about his background and how he? wormed his way into Rapture. I find that funny. I really do. All of it. Uh, It's... I have no... To me, he's a a pretty interesting character, and his whole... His whole thing, to me, is wonderful. I love it. I usually don't, I admit, but something about the fact that he can put on all of these different faces, these voices, and you could become anyone and anything, and he chooses to go down under the water. Yeah, well, I mean, he had a background in theater because of how he grew up. So seeing him switch from one character to the next, he had all these just other. Nature to him. Yeah, he had yes. all these other names. Uh, he even had, he had fun with it. That's he, what yeah, he even went down with you know accents. I mean, as you first meet him, he's got the Voyle. the what was it, Irish accent? Yeah, Irish. Irish. Yeah, the, I, 
you know, it's just so hard to believe that how he was able to go about doing that and then how he wormed his way into getting rapture by killing off the actual Frank Fontaine and yeah. took over as him and then got buddy buddy with Andrew Ryan to be able to be there in rapture and then almost seems like right off the bat started flipping everything to where he was making a profit off of stuff that shouldn't be there in rapture at the beginning. See and that comes back down to the whole start of the war between him and Ryan was because of the black market stuff and that again goes to that mentality of Ryan's of if I can't have it, nobody can. But see, uh, he wanted control of everything in Rapture. Fontaine's got a black market coming in. But if illegally. you remember, if you remember at the beginning though, Ryan he knew about the black market, but it was still under control. It wasn't too outrageous right. that he didn't. He kept an eye on it, but didn't care about it as much until it started getting so much out of control, and Frank Fontaine started, you know trying to turn everybody against Ryan is when Ryan's like, no, I'm stopping this right here and right now. I'm taking over. This is gone. You're no more. And then, you know. So basically, someone came along and tried to out Ryan Ryan and Ryan didn't like it. Exactly. It's kind of weird how he usually he takes over these people and tries to pretend to be them, but there was no way he knew there was no way to do that with Ryan. So instead he wanted to be someone else taking his seat instead of becoming the person in the seat. He knew that wasn't going to happen right off the bat with Ryan. What did he expect when he took over, especially towards the end of Bioshock? I mean, it you know, trying to take over the end of Rapture, there's barely anybody who is of sound mind. Yeah, everybody everybody spliced up. Rapture itself is breaking down. I mean, you had the part of the tunnel where the plane crashed into, so now that whole entire area is flooded. You got Spicers trying to kill people who are of sound mind if there is any left, which is a handful. What is there to rule over? Nobody is going to want to come down to Rapture. And then there's that, that you know, thought of, okay, how are you going to get it out there of come down to rapture what are you going to promote a run down flooded city that has killers after your ass well how would you go about bringing that a couple of possibilities with him that i can see for doing one is that's his kind of city honestly with that kind of city i think he's totally cool with that anyone can do anything they want as long as he has the bigger gun he doesn't care uh two i can see him using that as a market as this is Las Vegas down here, come join in the sim. Three, I could see him doing basically the bad ending and bringing Rapture up there and trying to do it. I mean, at that point, there's even the fourth one where he's corrupted, he's he's seen how fucked up he could make it, what he could do, and he leaves. At that point, he has the option. No one would be to stop him, which was the biggest issue with, with uh, Ryan. He was stopping everyone from leaving. Because he didn't want the government to know about Rapture and what he was doing. Because then government would be there to try to take control over everything. Yeah. See, I like that second and third theory with Fontaine about the 
either the Vegas idea or the uh, sorry, I forgot what the other <laughs> one was. Now. To be fair, I do too. <laughs> to be fair, I was looking. Yeah, sure. Like these are, I could I can totally torn him doing it as a tricking other people, even saying, "Oh, this is paradise down here," and then once they're here, doing exactly what Ryan then said. Well, you're stuck here. You can't do anything. You can't go back. And if you go back, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, he has no problem with that. I mean, at that point, he doesn't care what anyone does. It's his city. It's Sin City. Uh, promoting Sin City. Three, bringing Sin City up there. That one. That was the one. Bringing, bringing, the Sin City bringing up it up. The I feel end. like if it would have got around to it, instead of Ryan doing what he did and killing himself, basically, I feel like if... Atlas Fontaine had enough time. I feel like he would have brought it up under Ryan's nose. I, I feel like he would have tried to bring it up under Ryan's nose the whole time to expose Ryan. Defeat him that way. I can see that. Being the man behind the big screen controlling all the little guys with that. In the end, he probably would have even sent him Ryan a message saying, probably would have wrote him a letter in prison. I could picture him doing shit like that. Yeah, I feel like he would have... Well, maybe not. I don't feel like he would have... Now that I think about it, I don't think he would have exposed Ryan like that because that doesn't s seem his type. He doesn't seem like the haha you're in trouble type. He's, yeah, I mean, he's not, uh, he doesn't have any issue with dirtying his hands, but he, he would rather have someone else do what, uh, do it instead of him, unless it's something very, something that is important to him, and then he wants to do it. Yeah. So I would picture him being the one to want to end Rapture. If, if he were wanting Rapture for himself, he definitely wouldn't have brought it up. He he would have killed Ryan and, you know, the course of events that had happened if he wanted Rapture himself. See, if you remember, though, Frank Fontaine was obsessed with money. That's why I'm wondering how would he profit oh, it, from Rapture? Maybe bringing it up and exposing Ryan to the government could net him a pretty hefty sum. Well, at that point, if he was the owner of the city... I could picture him bringing it up there and trying to do his own uh, island on the water. Come join us. Get see Sin City on the sea kind of situation. I mean, there, it would bring up all these arguments of where... Shut up. Sin City. Yes. <laughs> I can see the arguments that were happening from that. It was like, which area of the uh, closest landmass that would probably own it to? And course people would fight to own that and he would just well, have to I mean, say he had the key at that point if he got it back well thinking back into the time frame though what kind of maritime law was up because we're thinking what 19 we're talking 1950s so world war ii had already happened no that's right they they went to rapture because they were worried about the war and they were thinking of the nuclear weapons would be happening so there was a big push for a lot of people to go there too a lot of families were already killed from a lot of them, so I bringing mean, it up at that point, that would be a big part to have a big arsenal of the city. And not, power. To, not to mention you have 
a couple of big characters who was part of the world world a war jesus part of the world yeah <laughs> part yeah, of the war that's how world building works there's a couple of characters that's part of the world dr yi Sho chong and dr tenenbaum they both were scientists and both were involved in the war i could see if he brought it up he would sell the plasmid business for the war effort for he would sell it to both sides i could picture that getting now, money that way Another kind of thought process, kind of backing up a little bit to uh, Ryan. Do you think maybe he saw the war coming and decided to duck out and build Rapture? Yeah, I think it's something that's been in the, in the back burner of his brain for a while, and that was the final proof that said maybe if I do this uh, with what's happening, enough people would actually do it. He had, he'd probably, I mean, from the sound of it, he'd been stockpiling all this stuff to do this final push on this big dream, but he something was holding him back, and hearing that was happening was just what he needed. Yeah, approaching war would be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to get the hell out of Dodge and build a city underwater. Yeah, I mean, he'd been keeping track, taps on a lot of different people. He was knowing, he already had ideas of uh, who he would like to bring and then all this happening and heck with what was going on he was probably worried he would lose some of those people even so he was probably already trying to think of getaways for them because I mean with how smart with how brilliant they were he wouldn't want to lose that yeah he definitely want the best minds that he could get around staying underwater so even if I mean if it all failed he would he would have wanted them under in his circle to be there at now, some point. talking about failure, do you think that if it came down to it that Rapture was not the big success that Ryan dreamed it to be, do you think he would have just said to hell with it and just sank it all? Do you think he would have just left it and went on to something else? I mean, if nobody knew that it was under there anyways, except for the people that was already there, you know shutting everything, closing it all up and basically pissing off somewhere else and leaving everyone to their own devices. You know, there's that, or there's, you know, this wasn't working the way that I thought it was going to work, and again, nobody knows about it, but I can just destroy it all and nobody would know. You say this and the only thing that's popping in my head that makes me think of it, because at first I thought, no, he wouldn't give it up, but then I thought, I can picture him letting it all out and starting fresh and building over the ruins and then I, I thought of Jurassic Park <laughs> I don't think he would build over the ruins per se for sure I do think yeah he probably would flood it for sure but I do not think he would rebuild in the same spot I, 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 I don't I, I wholeheartedly do not believe that he would pick that exact same spot to build I think he would try a different climate a different biome something different to try again maybe even he would be the mind behind Columbia you know maybe he would build the city in the sky if Rapture didn't work out or you know a hidden away city in the mountains or you know somewhere well remember see I thought about that but at the same time he was he was 100% certain that it could be nowhere else but under the water that's what was him, and I, that, I don't know, maybe uh, stuff 
during the time there, came out with new ideas. He found the sea slugs. Even if it was early on, he decided not to. There was so much he put into this. So many. He didn't care how many people died, but he he was already picturing it, and to him that meant it was it. Yeah, I don't think in Ryan's mind there was any doubt that it would fail. Even if if something went wrong, I could I would see him spending the rest of his life to get it to work, and yeah. as long as no one opposed him, he would have kept. He would have kept Rapture building. He would have kept it expanding. Uh, I don't know if it would have gone up, but it probably would have definitely kept going. Uh, it would have definitely radius. gone out, not up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he would have been replacing it, making something better. That was the whole picture for him is to... Although, I don't think he would probably let it get too big. Because you get it too big, then you're going to start attracting attention. I see that, but at the same time, to me, I always picture him as thinking the idea of growth as something good. If if, if his city is growing, if people are, because I mean, he's want, he was wanting this to be a city, and eventually, the, if there's no rules, he he has to imagine there's no there's nothing to stop the population from getting out of control. He's either going to have to send people up, or he's just going to have to keep building, which is something I can picture him building is a building. But I don't see him expanding super large though for the fact of he wanted it limited in the first place. He only wanted, you know, so few people to know and didn't want those people letting the secret out of Rapture in the first place. So I don't think he would build huge and invite a whole bunch of people down because it's and let it get bigger and then more people and bigger and more people because at that point that's just way too many people to know there's way too many variables of someone escaping and the information getting out so i was just thinking this i could picture i this right here is complicated because for a minute there i thought about at that point i could picture him trying to build a second city under the water but i don't know if he would want someone to be in control of it besides him yeah for and sure, definitely not. Yeah, but if he's not wanting to build out because of that, maybe, I think possibly he was thinking the war would kill the big people, and that was his whole promises for it, is that those who were would be too focused on the war, so by the time that Rapture grew and kept growing, it would be too strong for them to try anything, and if they, even if they tried, there would be spies here and there, but he's got people already on that. He's already got people watching their spies. Yeah. So his idea was to have Rapture grow so big that by the time the others were to be aware of it, yeah, he didn't want anyone to know about it, except for when he was ready. So to be growing, the biggest issue he had is he didn't want anyone to know at that time because Rapture was in chaos. He was at war. There was there was opponents that were actually challenging him. He didn't want that. He didn't want people to know try to know about his city then he wants them to know about the city when it's at its peak when it is strong when it is something that people would look at and want to be part of that was like his big thing i always thought do you think inevitably even if there wasn't frank fontaine there would be a frank fontaine type character to bring ryan down yes in that instance i think there would be because 
you also have let's see Dr. Tenenbaum was starting close to the end to realize the insanity of Ryan you have uh, Sophia Lamb who was one of the first besides Frank Fontaine who was battling against Ryan with the people and he shut her down quickly and pretty much just like locked her away like if you're gonna you know try to battle my word you don't belong here and of course you know Ryan not letting anybody back up you know above sea and that means she was locked away elsewhere that's right I mean Sophia was already breaking at getting already had her system set up in prison too so she was already planning to be the next uh, to face off against Ryan again so she was already planning her next step too I mean she was a great mind for us who just had a different way of doing it so he already had plenty of different people Tannenbaum I don't think would have been a big as much as I hate to say it she was soft with that she would have tried to get the little sisters more than anything he wouldn't have wanted that but I think at that point she was too soft to go against him I mean you find out later on because it's going it, we, we ha- we're gonna have a whole episode about Dr. Tannenbaum but you find out that at first she wanted nothing to do with the little sisters she yeah. despised them but then later on she starts to care about them and when you find her audio diaries you see the difference of how much at the beginning she despised them didn't care about them didn't understand them didn't understand any of it and to like I said caring about them and forming a bond a bond with them yeah See, I, I kind of almost feel like if Ryan would have raised Jack, that's kind of how it would have ended up. Though. He he wouldn't have cared at first. Didn't wouldn't have really wanted nothing to do with Jack. Given the circumstances of the situation, he's not really caring about it. He's not really focused on that. He's trying to run his city. You know, doesn't really have time for the kid. He doesn't really care. But I feel like over time he would start to be like, you know what? Maybe I could utilize this kid. Maybe I can set him up to be able to take over if, you know, if I die, you know, later on in life. If Sophia Lamb wasn't around or Bridget Tenenbaum wasn't around or Frank Fontaine Atlas wasn't a thing. I feel like if Ryan raised Jack think that would have been the ultimate. I feel like he would have wanted Jack ultimately to be an heir. Yes, to be an heir and take over in his place when the time came. Yeah, I mean, it's into the Webby Audio Diaries that he was kind of, he was thinking about that, but I just, I don't know, I can't picture Andrew Ryan with how his mentality was in one to with how bad it had gone even if the I mean uh, Jack would have only been three or four he probably I mean he probably would have had him next to him he wouldn't he would have been too afraid to have anyone watch the kid besides him yeah but I also 
Well, we got off topic. Off topic. Got off topic. Let's move on. (laughs) Thank you. All right, let's, uh, you know, how did you feel about uh, Fontaine's death real quick? Do you believe he deserved it? Now, wait, are we talking Fontaine's death or Atlas's death? Because Fontaine died. Well, remember also at the end, you know, revealing himself, I am not, I am... Fontaine and Atlas, you know, technically the same person. Oh, so, okay, so the final at battle. the very end, the final battle, you and against him, the fact the little sisters came out and just kept stabbing him and all that. Do well, you believe also, he deserved isn't that it? Based on throughout the game, your choices that you make with the little sisters, though. Not yet. They will automatically always start stabbing. Or is that the second game? You no, know, the first one it automatically as soon as uh, the ending yeah. that scene. It's right after that though. When he goes down and he either takes the key from the little sister because the little sister is offering the key. Gotcha. Yeah, you, uh, your character Jack has the choice. Does he take over as playing it, so. take over <laughs> as the ruler of Rapture or does he take the little sisters and escape to the surface? Yeah. Which I yeah. chose the escape. Same. Yeah, that's what I was saying for the bad, where I could see him doing the bad ending and raising the city. Um, for the Fontaine fight, for the ending, first off. Juicy ass. That was very <laughs> weird. That was not what I was picturing when I was Honestly, picturing. yeah, same. Um, I... See, I feel like the Atlas name fits, though. At that point, he was, yeah. It, the way he was transformed, he was the statue of Atlas, pick, uh, raising, keeping the earth room. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, at that point, he was so changed that he... I don't know. He was so deep into Fontaine, too, but I think quickly gave that up it was there was no I kind of uh, I could see it being a merge of both but do you believe he deserved what he got oh the hell little sisters yeah. coming in and after what it's because of him of what was causing them the little sister orphanage yeah I was gonna say a prophet it, it was definitely justified that's not getting off topic same conversation but sensitive material we can talk about afterwards but. okay well then so that's pretty much Frank Fontaine slash Atlas let's go with Dr. episode 3 Dr. Yishu Tzu Chong yeah, Dr. Yishu Chong the mad doctor I don't know. He didn't really seem all that angry to me. <laughs> mad as in crazy. Oh, like a hatter. Uh, yeah, mad hatter, yeah. Honestly, listening to some of the audio diaries and picking which ones I wanted to put in, I will be honest, I wanted to put in so many, but after a while, his voice got my nerves. Like, that. nothing against accents or anything, but... You know, also when you're in video games, you know, digitally listening to stuff, it kind of, you know, gets kind of scratchy, you know, trying to find the audio diaries, make sure they fit in and all that. It's just something about him just kind of, I didn't like him. I don't know why, just didn't like him. I think that was his whole, like, deal, though. His whole thing was he wanted to, he was kind of a parasite that was his whole thing is he was feeding off the others but he wanted he had his own shit he wanted to do but he knew who the big dogs were so he was going to be the tick on those big dogs but I can definitely see where you were going with that and I agree I'm just 
He's one of those characters where when you can tell when he's talking to someone higher and you hate that tone, but as soon as he he is talking in his audio diaries when he's not trying to impress someone, he does not care and you can hear that and that's when you start, "Oh, you're human." He's also very full of himself. Though. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, he was so full of himself. And do you think he ever really felt sorry for what he did to Jack? No, I don't. I don't. He he was, he had been waiting to get loose on that. He had been following. He'd been. He was waiting to pull the hair. He wanted to do as crazy as he could possibly get. No limits. He wanted to see. He was a Japanese doctor or a Chinese doctor. Japanese. Japanese. So. Uh, about that time, I would say, yeah, he, from history standpoint, they, uh, how do I say this without getting too, it was bad. They, they did bad things. Experimentations. I mean, they were were right on the level with the Germans in World War Two. They did some bad shit to people with their experimentations and shit like that. So I think it was ingrained into him already. I do not think that there would have been any saving him. It's already there. It's already part of him in general. I I, I do not think he ever felt remorse for anything he ever did. Or the fact of that was his heritage. That's what he came from. I don't know about that. I think I think the environment did did change him. He he saw something major, and that was what got him. He wanted to see how far he could take that. And it, his his whole his whole thing was where he wanted to mess with DNA and molecules. He wanted to do all that, and he got to. Real quick to jump in here, he was a Korean. Korean, oh, well, see, I was completely off. Uh, see, I said Japanese. Yeah. He did work with some Japanese. He, uh, but he himself was Korean. So I wonder if maybe it was something picked up then. The fact that he was also the creator of Big Daddies and Little Sisters. The bond, that's what, see, this. He, his main thing was the psychological, the, that was his biggest thing is the uh, mind control guy. He, that was his focus interest. Which that would be in line with Jack. Let's see. The psychological conditioning. To go back on my notes here, Dr. Yi Shochan began as a son of a lowly house servant in rural Korea. But when World War II uh, occurred, he seized opportunities uh, from the serious un- upheaval all across mm-hmm. whatever all across You're Asia <laughs> during World War II uh, so Chong was in Korea <laughs> was at uh, Korea at the time of the Japanese occupation and was accused of selling opium to the Japanese to fund his experiments so my question is how does he go from being a son of a lowly house servant to someone who is being accused of selling opium to Japanese soldiers how did he get into doing these experiments what yeah, I, was gonna say, I that, want to know that, what drove him to do that what, what was the point that made him go I want to experiment on this 
is it something is it something you know from an early age kind of like with Ryan there was a, a critical event that had happened at an early enough age that changed his mentality on things or or what you know that's why I've always like I, you know when I was doing my research on him I was hoping you know there's be a little tidbit of this is what made him do that but I really couldn't find anything it's just I want to speculate and say that maybe growing up low, you know, low class, a lowly life is what drove him that I don't want to be like this. Do you think maybe he might have experimented on animals and stuff first and thought maybe, you know, kind of how serial killer method goes, you start with animals first and then move your way to people? I, I think he did. I really think he did. Um, how do you feel about him developing that antidote lot 192 behind Fontaine's back to kind of break code yellow like he kind of is like I know I'm supposed to do this I did this but something in him made him go I'm going to make the antidote so this child this experiment has a chance what do you what do you feel about that? I feel like maybe he did it just for the sole purpose of seeing his experimentation play out. I think at that point Andrew Ryan hires very incredibly intelligent people and they know how to cover their asses. And he thought maybe at some point Fontaine would stick him onto him and he wanted a backup plan. I mean, it's Fontaine, he knows Fontaine, he knows how, he knows how deep that grave can go. He knows who all could possibly be in him, him, body included. What kind of shocks me when I was going through all the, you know, notes and history of Dr. Yi Shichong was that tidbit of Bioshock Infinite, before Bioshock Infinite, where in early October of 1958, he discovered the strange shimmer, a window to a city of Columbia set in a different universe at another time. Like, when I found out about that, I was like, now looky here, don't be throwing in this tidbit that I did not see, especially when this game came out way later than the first one. Like, don't do this to me. But it was also cool of how they mixed them together. And then, of course, with, you know, uh... Bioshock Infinite's DLCs and everything, you know, going back to Rapture. Kind of makes you wonder how far advanced they planned it. Exactly. Like, it really made me wonder. Hey, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, all that that happened with him with um, Jeremiah Fink, you know, manufacturing and pirating some of So Chong's genetics mostly his plasmids like watching that well not really watching but hearing it play out and then actually when you go to play the game infinite and seeing it play out like it explains so much especially when i played infinite for the first time and dr yu shou chong was you know his dead body and then when 
Elizabeth brings him back for, with the tear and everything. Like, I know that's, you know, when we get to infinite and all that, but it's just that it really made me wonder how far in advance they really thought about their Bioshock series. I'm but, wondering, though, if maybe that wasn't a scrapped idea from the original Bioshock, and then they kind of ran with it to develop infinite. So, I don't think they were planning that far ahead. I think they just looked for any extra stuff and then they included it into it to make that. I don't know. How do well, you not, not necessarily meaning the whole dead body part and all that, but the, the initial him seeing the Shimmer and discovering Columbia. I, I don't know if maybe that was information that was garnered after the release of infinite and it pieces it together because it is a bioshock one character now appearing in bioshock infinite is it something that's being pieced together retroactively or is it something that they had planned from the first game like the the discovery of columbia by shu su chong how do you feel about his death? Being killed by his own creation, a big daddy. Get down. You see it a lot in multiple medias. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the doctor being destroyed by their creation. Yeah, Frankenstein did. But you would have thought it would have been the other doctor being Frankenstein. But all because he hit a little sister. His creation of protecting a little sister, the big daddy, did the thing it was supposed to and ended up attacking what was attacking a little sister. Basically, he got Robocopped. <laughs> Pretty much. It was like he was smart enough to plan a lot of the just-in-case, but he didn't think of the just-in-case the Big Daddy is happening kind of situation. Yeah. Like I said, Dr. Yusha Chong, like, knowing all the experiments he did on the little sisters and everything, I didn't like him. He, They built a good background of you not liking a scientist. They did a good job because that's exactly what I did. I did not like the scientist. But Alright, let's go to episode 4. Gene Tonics. Why don't we throw this one together with our plasmids? Okay, so Gene Tonics and plasmids. What is your favorite Gene Tonic and your favorite plasmid? Well, first let's start. What's your favorite Gene Tonic? <laughs> huh, almost kind of like you should have done some research, huh? Oh, it's almost like Maybe I was took some notes. Should have been told instead of saying when I asked, "Hey, what do I need to know?" I mean, she did tell you. She said, "Listen to the episodes." I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that doesn't so mean I know every single one of them. I don't going back, that. okay, we have you know combat, uh, we have engineering, uh, and we have physical. For the physicals, we have Bloodlust, Booze Hound, Eve Link, Eve Link 2, Ink Saver, or sorry, Eve, not Ink, Eve, good lord, Extra Nutrition, Extra Nutrition 2, 3, Hacker, Hacker was one of my favorites, I will say that, Hacker was one of my favorites, getting it to break down the security bots a lot faster, especially when I had a habit of trying to hack a device when their splicer is coming after my ass. I always seem to have that habit. I think one of my favorite ones was the camouflage, but mostly because I had 
I had a, a system of when I was trying to record a lot of the bots, I would um, I would kind of hang around them, uh, one of the cameras, and I would wait till an enemy would pop up to trigger the alarm, and then I would just start recording the cameras just uh, sending turrets to attack enemy slicers that came in their path. So I didn't want them to notice me, but it was one of my favorite things of this to be in camouflage. And I remember there was one specific one. Oh gosh, was this in... This was in one. There's one scene where the camouflage was like the best thing ever. And it was when you were coming back. You come back to... Um, forest, you save them, but as soon as you do, you set off the alarm, and the turrets are automatically coming at you already, they're already, like, the plants died, it yeah. showed the same, so you go in there, but if your camouflage is there, you can just sit there until that timer is gone, and you're like, okay, that was, sorry, I just kind of zoned out for a few moments, you can just say, I always like to imagine that Jack just had a moment of where he just Whoa, kind of situation. <laughs> well, what about you? I can't really decide, to be honest. Um, As you flip through the list as well? Yeah, pretty much. I don't really remember picking them up as much or utilizing them all I mean, that often. Yeah, that was my bad habit. I didn't really utilize gene tonics as much. I, I, never, I didn't play it enough to really utilize them because I'm looking through some of these and like one of them that I am reading is Wrench Lurker yep, or yep, yep, yep. the Wrench Jockey. Wrench Jockey 1 increases wrench damage by 350% and then can be stacked with Wrench Jockey 2 which increases the damage by an additional 550%. So you're dealing 900% damage with a wrench. That was one of my favorite things I remember in Bioshock 1 I did that in Sports Boost which gave you a speed so you were walking faster, and then you also had, were walking silent. So I did one playthrough where I just did with my wrench. So I did all the all the gene tonics, all the tonics for the gene. And then in two, when you got your drill, I did the, they had everything for that. Everything, I, of course I did everything except for the frozen drill. I did the fire and the electric. There was even one that did a combo where it was random, but I mean, you could have had one of them all there too, and it was gonna be random. But I focused either one playthrough as the wrench had a hell of fun time just whacking people. <laughs> it's always fun to run around and bonk. And then you also had two where you actually had a drill and it was just as fun. Except now you were able to bonk them with it and then you were able to like drill stab. stab. Yeah. Alright, so let's... You? Yeah, you, know, you get to get out of this one. Uh, I told What's you. your favorite? Oh I yeah, you said the hacking one. Blah, blah, blah. Alright, plasmids. Alright, let's I, I can tell you probably two of my favorite plasmids off the top of my head and one of them being the control big daddy plasmid mostly because the sound it makes when you pull it out and it's this fucking gross ass looking squeezy ball Hypnotized it's big just daddy. the sound I love that one the most and because it would be really fun to get into an area where there's a group of splicers and a big daddy around and going hey you go fuck them up <laughs> throw it at them. 
watch the Big Daddy fight for you. That was, you know, one of my favorite things. Um, probably the other one. I don't know if I can any damage dealing one really. Let's see. There's Cyclone Trap, Electric Bolt, Enrage, Hypnotize Big Daddy, which is one of your favorites, Incinerate, Insect Swarm, Security Bullseye. Insect Swarm was one of my other favorite ones. Sonic Boom, Target Dummy, Telekinesis, and Winter Blast. Yeah, I think it was Insect Storm is my other favorite one because it... That's the one that we were talking about, the bees earlier, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, see... One of my favorites. Now that I think about it, I didn't make the references then because I didn't know the references then, but now that I think about it, all I can think of is Nicolas Cage when you launch insects for him. No. Not the bees! I mean, they say it. So, you know. Alright, what about you? I mean, I have my two. I have the bees, of course. Julie. I love Julie. Julie Lambert. She's one of my favorite characters. And the bee plasmid is just that was also one of my favorite things to do with camouflage is to and have a bunch of them have invisible and then eventually someone would get mad. The, the worst though was when I would hear the little, the big daddy yell and then I'm like, oh shit. And I would definitely not move for a good while, but he would still have the red eyes. And then cyclone trap. Cause I love the cyclone trap cause it was just fun to lay them and see people just chill about their day, walk into it. Not to throw a little wrench in your guys' thing, but it actually wasn't bees. They were hornets. I don't know hornets, but look. Nah, they're bees. Uh, they're always going to be bees in my heart. But yeah, when I picture them coming out of the hand, they're definitely hornets. But I don't want to picture them coming out of my hand. I love the plasmid, but I don't want to picture that. <laughs> that, that, just, that just does a visical reaction of recoil when I imagine, when I remember the image of the bees coming out of the holes of your hand. I loved it. But God, did it cause a horrible reaction in me. Maybe that's why you have that phobia. Yeah, I have, you know, I am so bad at, let's say, in the phobia. Thing. I don't remember, but yeah. But where I, I can't look at a group of very small holes. Like, um. This is okay. Yeah, this is okay. But, like, uh, when we. When those, those plants that are, like, the bigger holes. I know what you're talking about. Locust yeah. plants. Yeah, those. I can't do those, or I, like, when we went to the ocean, I couldn't do a bunch of barnacles and see a bunch of holes. I started freaking out. I can understand it's just, that. Nope. Or, lately, the newest thing is seeing people in drilling, where they made artwork and teeth. Oh. Ugh. Freaks me out. I wish you would have told me that. Oh, God, the sound. I no, 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 listen. No, I had a disappointment recently, and they had to take a tool that was basically like a little drill to go through my teeth for the cleaning. Let's take it, on topic. It, it was not fun. <laughs> no, this is now on, this is now on topic because you had to talk about drilling teeth. Uh, but, okay, so your other one is Psycho Trap. A cyclone Trap. Psycho Trap. Psycho trap. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something yeah, I just watching them getting just flung around was quite hilarious. Well, not just that. I mean, but one of my favorite things is, is when you upgraded it, you were able to incorporate the other ones. So I was able to incorporate my bees into my wind. The worst possible combo. War wind of hornets coming right at you. You know the the, the death swarm of hornets that happened? Yeah, that, that was my favorite part to do for people <laughs> in the rapture, you know, bringing the joy. <laughs> the joy. Yeah, that was my favorite combo. Like I said, I would just lay those traps, being my natural camouflage, 
wait until I heard a scream, and then chuckle. <laughs> um, I have actually three. Uh, it's going to be basic for the first one. Electric Bolt. You know, the very first one you start out as. Yeah, I mean, there's... I loved... I loved when, uh, when the Spicers were in water and just yeah, shocking them to death. There, there's a certain love for... Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it, it's that love of... You're standing in water. Let me channel my inner Emperor Palpatine for a minute. Unlimited power. Just for funsies. And it's the same thing for incinerate when they're near, you know, gas or whatever. Uh -huh. down I, I find myself lighting them that. on fire. I find myself doing that a lot in Fallout now, when it's people are standing in the pools of oil on the ground and just shooting at it and watching them explode, or in Skyrim when there's the the fire vases above the pools and then you got a bunch of druggers in a dungeon and just shooting an arrow at it. It's, just, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I get it. I get that. And then my last one being Winter Blast, especially when I had it all the way upgraded and then just coming after you freeze them and just knocking them and shattering, shattering them with pieces. a wrench. Like, I loved doing that. I, yeah, I wanted to do that. The only thing that made me angry was the fact that you lost our loot. Uh, by that time, I just didn't care. I can't help it. If I see a box, though, I want to, I want something from that. I, yeah, the, the satisfaction of the crash of the shards, I get that. I do. But I also want money. But see, that's why you do your one playthrough where you do all that stuff. Then you have your fun playthrough where you do the dumb shit. Where you throw bees in a cyclone trap. Where you freeze people and beat them to death with a wrench. Or shock them to death. You know, that's the fun stuff. But... Yeah, that's mine. So, next up would be Centered Conan. There's semen on everything! <laughs> everything! <laughs> that was my ringtone for the longest time when I would get a notification. I would hear that. Enough to the point that our daughter was quoting it when it would go off. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I decided it's time to change it because I got annoyed by it. But it, it, sometimes it would just fit in perfect situations, too. It, it, like, uh, we would be doing something in the house or watching a show, and there would be, like, an explosion. Then my phone would go off, and it would be that quote, and it's like, it just fits so perfect! But you know it was just a random NPC line, too. Okay, because I was about to say, I remember just... I remember hearing that line for the first time and actually realizing what they were saying. And even Aaron hit clicked at the same time because, of course, I was playing it. It's Look, Bioshock is one of those games where it's also my chill, relax, when I've had a bad day, go-to kind of thing. Yep. And I was just doing that kind of just, I needed something. And we heard that, and for some reason, it clicked what they said. And we both just heard it. was like, did he just say? And then we were, like, looking to around to see who the fuck had said that. And it was just a random splicer. And I was like... What are you seeing? And, and see, I, I love those things like that because Borderlands does that too. Yeah, I can see that. And Borderlands pulls it off so well with the psychos. Like, I, I use an app to get my notifications on. It's called Zetch. And one day I, when I was doing my Sander Cohen one, I just got bored and looked up Borderlands one. And just <laughs> died laughing at all the psycho quotes from it. I'm yeah. like, you know, it's really funny because you don't hear half of these. Oh, no, I did. I remember stopping just being... I remember one time there was a group of them behind the wall, and I was just chilling there because I 
wanted to hear it because every one of them, yeah, I remember that. I remember specifically Borderlands 2 ones because that was one of the ones I always kept playing. Shooty McFace. Yeah. That was my favorite Borderlands character of all times. Shoot me in the face! <laughs> Shoot me in the face! You do it! And then when you do it, thank you! <laughs> yes. See, I can't you really, need to play Borderlands. I was going to say, I can't really say anything on this because I haven't played oh, Borderlands. It's just such I, a random mess of I fuckery. I started one. I think it was the first one. Probably. I love Claptrap. Oh, of course. But, yeah, completely off topic. But, yeah, I, I probably should play it. But, yeah, Sandard Cohen. He was a fucking weirdo. And I'll be honest, when I played the game and then researching him, I should have seen it. I'm proud that they would go and put a gay character in the game and not flaunt it but I didn't know he was gay oh, until man. I found out the history yeah, I, how I did I that. not notice that right off the bat that's why he's a complicated character for me because I love it too but at the same time it's like oh yeah you're doing it but it's bad publicity but at the same time you're showing that anyone could be the anyone good bad but the problem is, is you don't really have the good to go kind of balance out what you have going for the uh, the LGBTQ re relationship here. Oh, that's why. But at the same time, though, do you think they pulled it off well enough that it's not very much of a talking point? Yes. No. I say it for, uh, for this case of they didn't flaunt it in your face that he was flamboyantly homosexual. Uh, that, he rang for that right off the bat when he wanted to get his disciples. And he goes, uh, one of them wasn't smart, but he was uh, rigorous or whatever the fuck he said. I can't remember. And, and that's what I was like, oh, shit. Meaning, not meaning like that. I'm meaning more or less like the in-your-face, hey, I'm gay type of thing. See, you know, when I, I, I don't when I played it for the first time, like something about it kind of was like, is he? But then I thought he was just one of those very passionate kind of people. I really didn't get it that he was gay and everything. And it, when I went through and did the my history and everything, I was like, that makes sense. It it, it kind of it fits his character. And I don't think they threw it in your face because I mean. It, I mean, it took me how many years to finally realize? <laughs> Look, I, I'm sorry, I mean, you don't have a good radar. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I know. Don't you laugh. I'm over here laughing like crazy. Because it's funny. Oh, shut up. But, and how they went about doing it. Especially for when this timeline is being placed. I think it suits it. To be fair, I can't. Don't, don't you dare. Don't you do it. I love to it. To be fair. Yeah, to be fair. There it is. I love it too. But yep. I have not played Bioshock Infinite as much as you have. So it's a very vague recollection of him in that. I remember the burial at sea part. Uh, just because the rapture part with it is what I mostly did. But I know he also did show up a bit in Infinite, if I remember. Uh, just in the DLC that I remember. Okay. I couldn't remember. For some reason, I have. I keep thinking he's, he was like in a prison area. I don't have that much recollection of him from the infinites, but 
don't know. The whole time, I thought it was a poor choice. I think it would have been more shocking to... Yeah, he's only in Barrow, see. I think it would have been... would have been better to have him surprisingly not gay and then someone else to be gay or straight. But would it... Considering him being in theater and his theatrics and his shows and the music and everything that he choreographed and made, would it have changed if he would have not been? I mean, that's probably part of his background, but they're very heavily coding that. But see, that also kind of comes down to the writers, too. That's the way they wrote it. That's the way they wanted it to be. Whereas now you're thinking along the lines of you're trying to change the character if you didn't have this background you know it's, it's kind of the conversations we've already been having about Ryan and Fontaine if they didn't have this background what would they be doing now? To be fair there was very few people in Rapture who was okay most of them were all douchebags to some degree so it was like you could either make this one as a representation or you could do that one as a representation. Versus like you were saying, this one could potentially be that having an effect his background and to what path he went into. Yeah. I just I don't like that they put the person who was part of that representation to being so dramatic in your face kind of way. See, in, in my viewpoint on it, it could be there's, like I said earlier, I've only played Bioshock at most so I don't remember a lot of it and that's probably one of the things that I've kind of one of the sections of the game I hurried through to get through to beat the game beyond, I don't know. beyond that he was just he was unique he was he, I mean he was he was gifted but at the same time he was incredibly jealous of anyone else's gifts I remember and uh, so the biggest thing is the secret where you could like if you didn't kill him the first time oh, you show yeah. up in his apartment and then you got to see his apartment and you got to see more of his personality from his apartment and finding the, the frozen person on the toilet and you're like what and the, of course the music playing and him wanting someone to always be dancing music books surrounding him even if some of it was on fire it was art to him see going through my notes right here I have a uh, it had been officially confirmed by the developers of Sander Conan it was homosexual, but it was hinted at it on numerous occasions in Bioshock and Bio even Bioshock 2. But it was only because of audio diaries left by his disciples who suggested that he was romantically linked with each one before they turned against him. So it wasn't that he was flaunting it. You probably wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for the audio diaries. Well, that's how you don't know most about a lot of people, though. I mean, they're not going to tell you straight up, I'm gay. I mean, yeah. You had to find some regulations to either... That's how you found out the stories for all these people is from the audio diaries. I think that's why I liked about Standard Conant, is the fact that, again, it shocked me. Like, I... You know, I knew some... You've got this game that's already got all these twists and turns, and then they just throw in another twist. Exactly. It well, definitely, uh, yeah, it definitely, a term. it definitely made his character better, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I don't know why, it just, to me, it kind of, it suited his character. 
would have rather had Santa Claus. Again, that still also comes down to that's how the writers wrote. Yeah. But. Beyond the whole <laughs> factor of that, though, with him, like, that's not just the main defining thing for him. Yeah. How did you feel about, have, as you play Bioshock, having to do his little, when you first mean having to do all these things to get, you know, having to kill his disciples and getting... His greatest work of art. Yes. How did you feel about that? When I did it for the first time, I was like, this fucker's crazy. It was, it was interesting, but I do remember fondly the Frozen One. I don't remember his name, but I remember being shocked how I couldn't move and I was completely frozen. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? This is different. But at the same time, later on, when I was just doing it on a relaxing kind of mode and I was way overpowered and I was going on, on plus game and I had instant incinerate three i remember coming back like i remember you could go in there as soon as you went in there right after you unfroze you could just put everyone on fire and those who were dead would drop but those who were alive would start running and screaming and it got to the point where i knew which ones were alive which ones were already dead and who it was and i was instantly able to get my crossbow on him but it was The way he talked, the way he did it, it definitely felt like you were going through a whole series. Okay, Frozen Tunnel, that would be Martin Finnegan. Yes, That Finnegan. was victim number two. Yes, Finnegan. That threw me through, through a loop. Because you had Kyle Fitzpatrick as victim one. That was right off the Martin, yeah. Martin Finnegan. Yeah, that one, that one really shocked me, the blowing up. Because he had the bombs strapped to him off the piano and then it just blowing up that that was a uh, definitely a bang okay we're getting into this kind of thing weirdly enough i was more upset about the piano than it was very nice and pretty sounding <laughs> exactly and then uh let's see victim number two was martin finnegan in the frozen tunnel victim three was silas cobb and victim four was hector rodriguez on. Well, the, the last two, it depended on which way you did it. If I remember, you could have got those two. You could have done either way. Because um. you like uh, you walk past one room and you hear him talking, and then the both of them. One is in <laughs> is in Jolene's. Uh, he's sitting there drinking in Jolene's area. The other one's in a uh, other area. I remember, but doing all that coming and then he would come and he would have his uh he would have his dramatic scenes whether joyful or angry at you and it was you never knew what to expect from him I guess. especially when they did the random just had the splicers attack you just to eh, i just want to throw this into here attack him and then they attack you you kill them and he's like okay well you need to go finish up what you're doing like his thoughts were going so much faster he couldn't stick to one it was like he was angry one moment and then right again it was he was good oh, it's the dog it's the dog starting to snore <laughs> no that that's oh, yeah, the dog <laughs> but book or do it stop snoring dude 
the uh, bringing on his death, finally killing Standard Conan. How'd you feel about it? Honestly, I don't remember a time where I actually killed him at the main first area, so I always did it in his apartment. If you did it in the apartment, you got extra stuff and certain things for it, achievements and. I think one of the time, one of the one two times that I played it, or both times that I played it, I killed him straight up. I was just kind of like, okay, this happened, and was very confused and walked away. <laughs> I know at least one point I did kill him straight up, and then the other time I did go to the apartment. Because I think in my thought process behind it, both times it was probably you had me do all of this shit. <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, oh. fuck you. You're dying. <laughs> I remember when I finally, you know, every time, no matter where I killed him at, when I killed him, I was just, I was just like, thank God, shut the fuck up. Thank all God, he, that's over. He, he just kept talking and talking and talking, and it's like, dude. He probably was in mid conversation when you killed him. He actually was. To, <laughs> arrived to wherever he was and finished his conversation. Then my, oh wait. I wonder if he had the most lines out of anyone in the whole game. You honestly. know, I that's stuff I'm gonna probably end up looking up later on because it feels like he, him, Ryan, or Fontaine. I have a funny feeling one of them three have the most. Ten of my like. I know. No, I no. know who has the most voices or most lines in the whole entire game. You guys are never gonna believe it. Who? Jack. Well, shut up. <laughs> Smart ass. Maybe he's whispering this entire time and it's just too quiet for He's the one yelling there's semen everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I loved how, you know, I didn't expect stuff like that in this game. Having characters yelling stuff like that out and it's like, wait, what? So okay. I think, I think that's another one of the things that drew me into Bioshock is it's, it has a humorous side to it at some points. Well, I remember, like, the, the atmosphere, like, when we, um, right after Fontaine's death, right, or not his death, death but his, uh, Atlas's wife and child's death, and you came up after that, and he, he was having this emotional, and you got up into a cemetery, and I remember the little secrets, like, it was, it was a cemetery underwater, there was, um, there was... How do we know there's actual bodies in there, though? What if they were making well, sashimi we, out of humans? We, we've already placed this question. <laughs> well, the reason why I'm saying is because there was one of those big mausoleums there. And yeah. there was a secret where if you were to... One of the one of the torches were not lit, and you lit it, and you went into it. And it was those little touches that I loved about it. So I was like, who triggered that? Who made it to where you had to like bolt them? Because there was, there was ammo, there was weapons. Yeah, there was a ca uh, casket out with a body there. Was like those there's a backstory to each little thing yeah that's what got it and loved it like you turn around and there's a message on the wall or you find you find one little end and you follow it and you find a dead body with an audio diary and it's just one person's audio diary and they never do another audio diary yeah see that's kind of like in fallout when you come across all the different hollow tapes spread through or 76 i think is the one that i'm thinking of where you come across all the different hollow tapes throughout the level that are a couple of skeletons that's like a male and a female skeleton laying next to each other on the ground and there's a hollow tape and it's they're literally out camping before the bombs went off 
and it's just an exposition between them. It's just a little bit of world building thing. It's you know, while there may not be another hollow tape or audio diary in the world exactly like this one or one pertaining to this one or one after this one, it just helps you get enveloped into that world. Helps you get into the you know the world building of it. Yeah. Explosion. Look, we're not getting into this. That's why I was like whispering it because I didn't want to distract it again. Where'd the bodies go in the first place? Is it a Soylent Green situation? Just saying. Look, we ain't getting into that because yeah. I have so many How are they getting the fresh bodies? meat and stuff yeah. down there? That's all I'm asking. Yeah. Anyways. Alright, let's go on to episode 7. You, know you, you, event, you invent <laughs> and the sackass of values! Real quick on the Circus of Values, you ready for this one? You didn't know about it, and you put that little clip in after I told you. The voice of the clown for the Circus of Values is the director, Ken Levine, himself. Well, Ken Levine, I have one thing to say to you. I fucking hate the Circus of Value fucking ringing thing. I, I fucking hated it so either. much. I, I did not know I, I, I come across it a random tidbit information a long time ago. And I, it has stuck with me this whole entire time. It's the one thing about Bioshock that I knew that I was so excited about that she couldn't even find research for. That Ken Levine did the voice for the Circus of Values Clown. And it makes it even better to know because some of the lines that the Circus of Value says. Like one of my favorite ones. Come back when you have some money, buddy! I could just picture him in the recording booth doing 17 different takes of that. I think... also Martin Finnegan. Yeah. I, I remember that one. Which... <laughs> again, See, I think stuff that's later on. I like about games like this is when their own, like, head developers and shit like that, they're making these games, put themselves in it. Yeah. Like that, you know, put themselves as a, a voice of a character. Or, I think the reason why I hated Circus of Values is because... I fucking hate clowns. <laughs> That's clown. They scare the piss out. All it is, is Not to mention, I didn't have to be close to a fucking Circus of Values, and I would just Welcome hear it. Welcome to the Circus of Values. Oh, my well, God. I mean, just hearing a... that over and over and over again. It's like, shut you up. You know what, though? You know what? I would almost rather hear Welcome to the Circus of Value over Booker Catch. <laughs> the dog doesn't even do anything. Oh, I was either hoping he would or wouldn't. He's he's out. He's but, like it's bedtime. But I, I I like the getting back into this, and we're gonna get. We're gonna get into this when we get into the other vending machines and stuff. But I I like that that there's a way besides just picking up stuff off the ground. You know that you can get things, and the vending machines have different things in them and stuff of the sort. What are you yeah. looking for? I didn't even know who the um, inventor. I I didn't even know there was a backstory to the inventor to of uh, the machines. Honestly, that that surprised yeah, me. Yeah, that was really a nice tidbit to find out when I was doing the research. Is some of the you know background history in machines. Like I didn't expect it, and then when it popped up, I was like, that's interesting. And I wonder how many people actually know about this. I mean, as soon as I as soon as I heard you guys talking about the first thing that popped in my head was Bioshock Infinite when they started making the uh, machines that sold out, and you saw the factory that was making them. Like I saw all the machines there, 
did not think about the process of making it, who owned it, who who was the one who uh, threw the idea out there, just like they kind of did in two when they made the whole train system in there that failed. It was just like, I never think about that until the game shows us or someone mentions it. All right. Uh, did you ever use the uh, Uinvent at all? Yeah. I didn't. I will be honest. I never did. I can't remember if I did. I'm going to say, as an educated guest, no, I didn't. Like, I felt no reason to use it, to be honest. Well, I mean, one of the best ones, uh, weapons, is um, from Julie's, uh, the flamethrower system is you got the electro, and you were able to make it, and the you invented that and annihilated the big daddies, and it also got out uh, pretty good. But it was... I got some fun weapons from it. You got more anti-personal weapons uh, from the ammo. Anti-personal. <laughs> anti-personnel. Yeah, and yeah, 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 I had to come on a couple here for you. Um, but I did use it. I mean, I'm getting all this random stuff here. I don't have to really pay any money. I've already got all these nuts. I've already got all these empty syringes. I, I think, now that I'm thinking about it, you're talking about I, I think I did use it to make ammo a lot. Yeah, it was it was a good ammo. See, I tried Special doing ammo, I tried yeah. doing runs where I didn't use ammo until a big daddy. I would only attack with wrenches and my plasmids against splicers, and then ammo for big daddies. See, my thing, like I said, one of my favorite plasmids being hypnotized big daddies. Having camouflage and hypnotize Big Daddy, you come around the Big Daddy, you just sit, camouflage, throw it, and then let him take care of everybody around. And then you fight the Big Daddy, or just leave him alone and keep hypnotizing him and let him follow you along. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, Circuits of Values was... I did not have as much anger as apparently you guys did. I, I wasn't angry. I don't know what the Circuits of Values me. To me. The first time I played it, I was okay with it. And... Anytime after that, it's just, oh god, it's so annoying. Shut up! It's 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 like the uh, it's like the gardens. Uh, it, as soon as you hear that tune, you're like, oh thank god, you're around. And, I mean, you gotta start to spend some time to like find it, but that just means I can finally finally get something because you're always gonna need something yeah. eventually. There so. was at one point I forget what I was doing, but out of nowhere. The circus of values like was really loud in my ears and scared the living <laughs> piss out of me. It's like, God damn these fucking clowns! I swear to God. But it, w it is kind of weird. You think about it, like what made what were what's the why with clowns? Why, and yeah, why the circus of values? Why clowns? I could, I mean, or was it trying to do something like? Oh, all fun! You know, the kids would like this kind of thing. Could possibly be because you got to think of the mermaids or pirates. In the implications, though, at the time, pirates' pi booty. Pirates might. Have, <laughs> well, yeah, but that ain't not. Well, it is Bioshock. I guess that would probably. <laughs> but it, in the time frame, though, look at the way the clown is dressed. It is dressed like that 1940s, 1950s style yeah. of clown. It's. I don't really think. In that era, mermaids were a thing. Oh, mermaids have been around for. Well, just meaning I mean, it's as, big, it's a thing. yeah, as big as they are now, or same thing with pirates. I mean, I knew 
pirates were a thing, but I don't think they were as big of a thing as they are now. So that and it kind of comes down to the invention thing, I guess, who created everything. Because yeah. you've got the El Amo Bandito, and you've got the Circus of Values, and you've got... Isn't there one more vending machine? Uh, oh, the uh, Ammo one. I said no. The El Circus of Values and El Amo Bandito. You invent, and then there's the uh, Garden. Uh, Gatherer's Garden. Let's see. What am I looking for again? Vending machines. That's right. Power to the people. Yeah, power to the people is one of them. Let's see. For list of machines, there's uh, Circus of Value, El Amo Bento. Bandito. Whatever. Uh, fuel stations, Eve Dispensers, Gathers Garden, Gene Banks. Epstein the Swami. Yeah, I know. Uh, health stations, Jukebox. These are also just like little things. Uh, Univent. Yeah, I think that's about it. Besides, yeah. I mean, the only thing else is the power to people and, yeah. Yeah, so, see, you've got your, basically. That was that swami. See, I don't remember that. Oh, I remember that. That was uh, specifically in Fort Frolic. Oh, it, yeah. yeah. In there. That was the first time I ever saw it. Well, as soon as you come in the hallway, it's got all those like uh, slot machines and that. But anyways, back to these vending machines. You gotta think. I believe the Circus of Values probably was something in there from the get-go. Well, not from the first build of Rapture, but like once they got it all, got it furnished, and got stuff in there, I feel like it was one of those things because it's kind of like a general store on the go before the war in Rapture, before they started stocking that stuff with ammo and other bits that, you know, you would need to survive and having the El Ammo Bendito one, I feel like it was more like a general store on the go. I don't know, I just, I keep thinking of the, like, the art deco of before the war, like we see in Infinite, where it's all shiny, but it's elegant, kind of shiny. I mean, they've got, like, the fun little bits and pieces, and then you see a clown, yeah, the clown, not really. The not clown even, just didn't. didn't I can see fit a mine. The clown didn't fit the whole aspect of but everything. But at the same opinion. time, maybe that's why is because it's more out of place, and they know they'll probably get more people interested. But it's called the circus. What's in a circus? Clowns. Elephants. You don't see mimes in a circus. Well, Lions, tires. Listen, now we're getting into nitpicky details <laughs> about the game itself. I don't know why they chose to call it the Circus of Value and put a clown on it. I didn't make Bioshock. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it's I could I could see it going both ways. One of which it being weird, but at the same time, they could also seeing a it's it's so different as a uh, marketing scheme. <laughs> yeah. Well, back to what I was saying though about it being a general store on the go. If they would use the clown image to attract kids to spend the money there or stuff like that. Because clown friendly, you know. Like that, at that point, it sounds like you're only marketing towards kids. Whereas at that point, if they were marketing to the, I would imagine it would be more of the adults than the kids. Maybe, maybe not. Well, because you already had Fontaine Futuristics. Yeah. Brian Industries. The the the, 
the department store. Yeah. You already had stuff that was. Yeah, you already had stuff that was kind of geared towards adults, with like the department store and stuff like that. Why not have something that would be for the kids? Circus of values. Stock it with stuff like candies and stuff like that before the downfall of Rapture. Before it was used as a survival mechanism, more or less as a, you know. I guess you had somebody like a little vending machine for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes a little sense. Well, let's move on. Uh, now would be Gathers Garden and Gene Banks. Huh? Tell me we weren't doing this. Well, the big discussion is episode 10, so it'd be Gathers Garden. And I, I'm, I like the Gathers Garden. Something tried to do, and it won't be uh, on the podcast. Of course, when this comes out, you know, episode 8 and 9 will already be posted. But we tried getting our daughter to say the little sister's beginning, the my daddy's smarter than Einstein. <laughs> yeah, trying to get a five-year-old to say some big words like that. Hey, and she said she, Einstein pretty well. She did, she did okay, but she also has that lisp right now. So she tried. Oh, we might release it later on as one of our um, little stuff that we've cut away that big mess up moments and stuff that we find hilarious about that we're gonna you know pit together and all that but I'll admit it was adorable and everything that you know that I you find out about the gatherers garden how you know be you know helping some of the little sisters you get some of the like a you know the teddy bear and yeah. stuff, and you get it there at the Gatherer's Garden Machine. I'll admit, the first time I saw the Gatherer's Garden Machine, the little girl standing next to her, I was like, that's a little freaky. Like, they look like the machines you just, they're, like, their head would turn at you. That's what it looked like. I was waiting mm. for their heads to, like, turn and look at you. It's like, mm, why not? What? <laughs> Gatherer's Garden is the one where you would get the different plasmids, right? Yeah, I always uh, I always like the little thing though where you get your first the first time you see the gatherer's garden though, and um, and then right after that you got to face the big daddy to get more Adam and you're like dang it if only I'd saved that Adam. <laughs> yeah, that yeah you learn pretty harshly about that they like try to teach you, hey yeah you can spend him now but ooh there's still some daddies here. The fact that Ryan's the one, Ryan Industries are the one that came up with the Gatherer's Garden. They felt the need to outdo Fontaine, because Fontaine at the time was promoting it through showrooms, the plasmids and stuff. And Ryan's like, well, we're, I'm going to step up and do one better than you and set it as a vending machine for those who have the money that can do it anytime. They don't have to go to your place to give the money. My machines are getting them. And then get the plasma right there and anywhere. One little tip that I don't know if you guys know about is the very first Gatherer's Garden. Um, if you can technically get the briefcase while the curtains are still closed, if you haven't uh, figured out what you want to do with the little sister, like you can technically get through the crack and look at it, and you can it gives you an option to grab what's in there. No, oh. didn't know that. All right, honestly, didn't. Twice, so I didn't, definitely didn't know it. 
yeah, but that's like, neat though. There, I mean, there. Uh, it, this was also something for later to talk about with you guys. Like there is, there is like ways around certain ones that like you can get extra little sisters, and all that stuff. There's a couple of those that are pretty funny. But I remember doing that. I was just messing around. I was like, I wonder if I can. And yeah, I was able to like peek and see the briefcase. Funny enough, I saw the briefcase before I saw the little sister the very first time. I was so confused. Did you ever use any of the dream bank? Not too much, honestly. I mean, there was a couple times where I accidentally equipped uh, something I had just bought and I didn't mean to, and I had to go over it, but I didn't use it. Yeah, that was the only time I ever used one is when I accidentally clicked way too fast and turned around and uh, equipped it to myself. And it's like, that's not what I want. I have to go back, find this, let's get this off. Other than that, I wouldn't go out of my way to search for one. Like, I had my set things. I didn't, because I never really gave a crap. I pretty much didn't. Yeah, pretty much. If I had like a certain place where I want to do like, oh, I want to be all fire or I want to be melee or I'm going to do it for this specific weapon kind of situation, which I did a couple times, but... Or a certain uh, achievement or stuff like that. Yeah, otherwise it's not something I mess with now. Well, Gather's Garden Gene Bank was pretty much easy. Oh, well, also hacking. Hacking's part of episode eight. The fact that <laughs> I... I don't know how many times so far I've read where this machine cannot be hackable. It's like, I think altogether like four machines that's non-hackable. And it's Circus of Values, Univent, Gatherer's Garden. No, Univent you can't set, uh, you can't uh, hack. I'm pretty sure you, you said so can. podcast even. Hold on, so is it Gene Bank uh, I was about to say, I'm pretty sure I read the information that you yeah, can like because you get reduced material. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was I was looking at the Gene Bank. It's like, oh. Gene, Gene Banks. Gene Banks cannot be hacked. Circus of Values cannot be hacked. Wait, I think Circus of Values can actually. Yeah. Circuits of Values can be hacked. You're so your information I, all wrong. <laughs> I am tired. Power to the people can't be hacked. Yeah, power to the people can't be hacked. Um, the gene banks cannot be hacked. Uh, Gather's Garden cannot be hacked. Yeah, stuff, I mean, you don't really need to be in longer than you have to. Yeah. That's it's not important currency. Yeah. But, let's see, next would be... The genetic key, health stations, vata chambers, and bathospheres. Here's something to discuss. The hacking tool ways. Because, I mean, in 1 and 2, they had, and even infinite, they had completely different types of hacking systems going on for it. Some people said because one's hacking system was annoying with the piping, you had to switch uh, the tiles out for it. And then 2, you just had the bar, and um, you had a hacking tool. So generally, did you find one's hacking system to be annoying? I think of the times that I've played it, probably the first few times I got into hacking, I failed at it. But once I understood what it was and how to do the puzzles, I got through them a little quicker. I don't really think I had a problem with it. Um, two, I've played one time and I don't really remember the hacking in it. And same thing with Infinite. Two's hacking system was different to where one they hacked in one, you went into a screen. Two, you were hacking on the move. So if people were attacking you, you were still going with it. But it gave you an option where you you would have 
actually had the bars that were like white and then it had the red, green, and blue. And if you hit the blue, you got an extra thing. If you hit the red, oh, okay, yeah, you triggered the alarms. And then you also had the hacking tool, which had um, hacking from a distance, an auto hack, and eventually you were able to get like a little security turret kind of thing for it. So, what do you think? Honestly, I like the first uh, first hacking. I don't know why. I, I think it's just because I got so good at it. Honestly, like I, it got to the point that I just, for some reason, just got really good and really quick at it. And Infinite wasn't so bad. I can't really remember Infinite's hacking system, to be honest. I didn't play that much. It. I don't really think it did, to be honest. It really. It, I think that's why I liked it because there really oh, wait, wasn't much. Wasn't the hacking thing just the possession plasmid? Your like thing where you just drew the plasmid as long as you had the salt for it, and then it it was hacked. But I remember doing the possession a lot. Yeah, like, I think that was how... I, I remember there was that whole scene when you got to the first time where you got possession, and then you went wild at all the mini machines, and that's how you got free money from it, and it was hacked at that point. I think that was the only hacking system they had in Infinite. Could be. I don't know. It's not my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the Vita Chambers and Bathyspheres? Well, I didn't use them in Bioshock 2, my first playthrough. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> really? That um, still pisses me off. I think Fuck the, you both. The, uh, the first time I, I used a Vita Chamber in the first game uh, kind of took me by surprise because I think at that time I had been playing a lot of games that, you know, you restart at checkpoints, but you're restarting at checkpoints. You're you know, you did something already, you're going back through and redoing that same thing. Whereas in Bioshock, the Vita Chambers, you died, you're respawning at this thing. If you died in combat, not that far from the Vita Chamber, you're still in combat when you come out yeah. of the Vita Chamber. <laughs> Which oh, is, you know, it it's not a reset point. You're not going back and redoing something you did already. You're hit the ground running back to what you were doing. It sucked and then it didn't when you were in a battle with a big daddy and you get killed. Because you go back and the big daddy is still, his health hasn't replenished. His health is actually still down where it was at. So I liked that aspect of it. But then it's just like you said, it's stepping out of that chamber and you're right back into the middle of the fight. There were a couple times where, you know, I revived and it's like, uh -uh, I ain't stepping out right yet. I gotta take a small break. Give me a second here. Okay, now we're good. Let's go. Step out and just right back in the middle of a fight. And then the, uh, the vital chambers, I don't know. There was... They were very tricky. It took me a moment to realize that it was... I My character was the only one who was able to do it. Because, like I said, the first time I was doing it, I was just playing. I, I was I was overwhelmed by everything. I, I mean, I loved everything. I loved it, but I wasn't taking the time with it. I wouldn't finish the story first. Yeah. And then I wanted to play my second time and actually take in everything. So I didn't really understand at the first time I was playing it that, and I was very confused, but I remember thinking later on, I was like, well, what, does this mean the splicer are just continuously reviving? Is, they just con is this why no one's really dying? And then I noticed that's how I realized, and that's how the story started getting more connected, and I was thinking about it. And it was really nice, but usually I've also noticed there's always, there's always some sort of something sad around Vita Chambers. Also, in most of the games, you can yeah. kind of notice either dead cat, a briefcase, 
um, which is never a good thing to have a briefcase next to your room, one of those, and then signs of other so yeah, you're coming back, but you're also, you come across and you're like, oh, thank God, so this is one of the areas I can come back to, and then you look around it, and you're like, oh. Okay. So kind of sad. Yeah. Kind of like the preservation tubes from Fallout 4. Yeah. And Fallout 3. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the bathospheres, I like the concept of them, how they got down to Rapture. I liked that. I found that kind of fascinating. It, rem- quite literally, it's a submarine. Pretty much. I do remember pretty heavily. Um, Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea. Part two, they went more into, I think it was part two, they went more into the bathospheres. And they had different types of bathospheres. They had luxury bathospheres. They had speed bathospheres. And they actually went to the factories that made it, the people who were going into it. And that, that, it was a pretty interesting one when they had advertisement for it too and it, it was like luxury car kind of showmanship going on. They had like the sport light going on where it was on its pedestal as it was moving. And I I could see that and I was just thinking, oh God, you went into all of this. And then that must have been, I mean, and Andrew Ryan must have known what market he was going to be destroying by closing that shit down. And at the same time, I was just imagining the city that had all these bathospheres swimming around the whole city in all these different types. And it, it, it kind was, of to me, it was like the, the jet, the, yes. the jet, the jet, Jetsons. Jetsons. I was Jetsons. just trying to remember that. But name. under the sea, it, that's what it reminded me of. Exactly. I could not remember the name. Thank you. Just, you know, cars stuff. everywhere, you know. But it, all these bathospheres everywhere, and it's just, and it wasn't just anybody who could have one. You had to have money. Well, that's the thing. All these bathospheres, they were doing it. You, I mean, you had a Honda version, kind of, or a family mobile kind of version. I yeah. Mean, you didn't have too much room in them, but they were expensive. But they were also trying to do it for the middleman in a way. But it was getting to the point where no one had any money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had to have a way to get around. Now, did you like the bathosphere idea more or less than the... What is it called in the infinite? Where they where you get shot to the sky? I personally like um, that one. Of course you do, because Bioshock Infinite's your favorite game. Shut up! Yeah, oh, like, I like them both. They both gave you that thrill the first time that you played the game. Yeah, The but first time of you coming over that ridge under uh, under the water and seeing Rapture. Seeing the giant squid or octopus, whatever it is, swimming past. The giant well. The sea life. Watching as you're, you know, you're the bathosphere's going. Watching a big daddy fix whatever he was fixing on, you know... The, in that ledge and everything like and that's the problem they did it once so they tried to do it again and but they literally I also mean, even going into the tunnel is that all life flows into the city and then as you were going back down on infinite through into the church it was highlighting with the sun the cutouts of the same words yeah kind of it was trying to do a cycle I think is what infinite was doing it was like and it begins and it ends exact same way yeah. But I see. I, I feel like Infinite's was underwhelming because you've already experienced the same thing in the first game. Yes, it's underwater, it's different, 
and infinite in the sky. You're, you know, breaking through clouds and whatever, but you've already experienced it. You've already done this. I will admit I did find, as much as I, I have complicated feelings about the internet, I don't really care for it, but it's interesting. It was very beautiful. And that scene was very strong. You were, you went from a stormy area banging on the bells to get the code, and then you go into it and you're trapped in there. You had no idea where you're going in the bathroom. You know what that is. For this, you had no idea where you're going into. And then you're trapped. You can't move, and you lose your only gun. And then you're shooting into the air. Fuck! You think you're gonna? I was, like I was saying though, like when you first get in for the infinite, the I don't remember the name of it. Like I said, I haven't played yeah, that I one as much. Sure. I don't remember the name of it either. You shot up, and you didn't know how you were getting down. You didn't know what it was. You just knew, hey, there was supposed to be. You heard, you got into it. You heard, you saw colors. You heard booms, and then you were shot in the sky. In in Bioshock, when you got into the bathosphere, you could tell this was some sort of boat submarine thing. Yeah. You weren't prepared to go down, and you weren't prepared for a presentation. But you got it, and you saw sea life. You at least kind of had an idea. Yeah. I still just think they did it already. But I do like the thought process of with the way Infinite goes and the events of Infinite and how it runs, I do like that process, uh, the thought process of, yes, you have already seen this before, but different. Where, you know, the ending of Infinite, where they're walking through the different lighthouses and you see there's a Booker and Elizabeth, and there's a Booker and Elizabeth, and there's a Booker, and there's a Booker, and then, you know, it's infinite. Oh my god, I just got it. That's why they called it Bioshock Infinite. Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it's infinite. There's infinite possibilities. Who's to say that in this one where you go down the Bioshock bathosphere, that this isn't a variation of a Booker that has already experienced the ascent to Columbia is now is experiencing the descent to Rapture. That makes a good point. Anything I would say Jack would probably be Elizabeth at that point, though. But still, it's that concept of that cycle repeating over and over. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like, yeah, the big thing with all the Bioshock series, too, was the only deviation for it because it was like trying to be an actual sequel to it, whereas Infinite was trying to cycle through to one to show about something more message wise it was more uh, Bioshock 1 was uh, a feeling an experience and Bioshock Infinite was a realization kind of thing to me so seeing the bathyspheres and then the tubes the thing with that is you come across more of the bathyspheres and versus the other ones you don't really get to actively see them for infinite. Yeah. You see the one that you come through, but the other ones are in buildings you never go into, so you don't know which building has more of those. Yeah. For Colum coming, welcome to Columbus. So you don't know how any of the other places are like, whereas for the bathosphere, the first time Jack comes down in the area he's at, he sees two other bathospheres that are locked down, and you can see a couple down bathospheres in the water, and two, you can hear stories about it you could in infinite dlc you see the baptist real market but you never see any more of the tubes don't, for columbus if i'm not mistaken 
very end of the third one, they take a bathosphere down to Raptor, right? Yes. Okay. They're the one to bring the the thing. Uh, I don't. But yeah, they do. They do. They do. Okay, I thought so because that's pretty much where it ends. Is they descend into Rapture after walking through the lighthouses, right? Uh, they they go down there and the songbird dies down in Rapture. Which and they take uh they take about the spear up, I believe. That's another little that's into what it the was. They they did a tear into Rapture and then out. Oh, and that's okay. how the, the supposedly the bathosphere is like a lot of people's theories, that's how the bathosphere is up there for Jack to come back down kind of thing. But Okay, well that's bathospheres. Let's go with genetic key. So the genetic key being the DNA between Andrew Ryan and Jack. My question is, why didn't Fontaine just take the DNA from the embryo in the freaking beginning? As of doing all this to Trying be able to, to take... Long yeah. I don't think it would have mattered because it did the genetic key for it. I mean, yeah, you could have had it, but I think it was something deeper than that. I, I don't necessarily think that Rapture was supposed to decline and fall like it did. I, I do think that the Civil War was inevitable. It was going to happen, but I do not think that they had intended for the fall of Rapture like that. Not the developers, but character in-game. Yeah. I, I do not believe that Ryan and Fontaine intended for the fall of Rapture. Fontaine wanted to take over Rapture from Ryan, right? Is what I'm remembering. What? Fontaine wanted Rapture from Ryan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I feel like if he would have had the DNA in the first place, it wouldn't be to his benefit. He needed something that could slide past everything to get the key versus there's no way for him to get the key. It's the actual key to the... Are we talking about the key, the actual yeah, the actual key? it's the actual key, but that is uh, controlled by a person's genetic code, which being the DNA of Andrew Ryan and Jack. So he needed the physical key plus the DNA for it. Yep. So that was the issue. There was he could possibly get the DNA, no issue, but he could not get someone to walk him to the key. So that's why they needed um, he needed someone close, exact copy to that same regard. So. He was trying to think of what resource he had at the point in time. And, you know, the, the genetic key also in Rapture uh, that Andrew Ryan held gave him control over not just security devices and the bathospheres, but even splicers that were controlled through pheromones. Mm, there was at one point, though, I, I mean, I remember that to a degree... But there was one point, uh, I know, but there was another point where um, Shushong had it originally got the splicers to follow Fontaine through pheromones as well as the thing, as the plasmid and the... Um, well, the through pheromones, that was with Ryan, not But Fontaine. it started out with uh, Fontaine, I believe. No, for the Fontaine, it was just him just convincing everybody onto his side, mm. pretty much. And then majorly over splicing them to make them quite literally lose their mind. What are you doing? Uh, trying to th I'm trying to think. 
the um, logo on the genetic key appears to be a reference to Howard Rourke. Is that how you pronounce that? Rourke. As a architect in... The architect protagonist in Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Which, which inspired Bioshock. Yeah. Yeah, it was not with... I mean, you you see the, the big... Uh, in the first area you see where you get the Electra thing, there's the big cut-up model of Rapture in that same kind of artwork. Let's see. Like uh, In a previous version of the Ryan amusement level, uh, Delta had to find the station override key inside the manager's office instead of the ticket to enter the park. <laughs> I remember that. It's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, I love that. I remember it. I remember it. Or uh, even uh, in a previous version of the outer uh, per- Persephone, Persephone, whichever the hell you want to pronounce it, bite me one uh, level, Eleanor would appear to give Delta a key to a person's atom storage, which was his, his means of survival in the older plot. Like... So, even after Ryan, they were still kind of doing their own genetic key kind of thing. Just... Not like the major one through that controlled rapture. Not like the one that Andrew Ryan held. I can see that. I mean, when they got, when they got the sea slugs... They were getting heavily into the DNA at that point, so they were probably trying to utilize it for security reasons as well, and biochemical-wise. So I can definitely see, I can definitely see other businesses having certain uh, DNA keys strictly for them or other people into the keys. I didn't know about that. I didn't think no. about that honestly. How do you feel about the health stations? <laughs> I like to hack them and see spicers get gas. You mean by hacking, beating the shit out of them with a wrench? No. <laughs> How many times I did that? No, it's, I mean, yeah, that, that, that you could do that. That is a free. You get that one. Uh, you get that one tonic too, and you get free two, two first aid kits. Yeah, I know. Nice. When I was in the medical vil- pavilion, that's the one I like to. I just got tired of it. I just would hurry up and quickly just whop it a few times with the wrench, just to quickly get it done and over with. But also, you had all those torts. Turrets for whatever. Shut up. Medical pavilion's my favorite, right up to Fort Frolic. So yeah, going into that and seeing all that, I've got a rhythm set for it. I think my favorite area would be um, where the bombing took place. Oh, the underground chamber. Maybe, maybe is that what I'm thinking of? Maybe not. That's the only like the bomb is in when you were going into Fontaine's uh, hideout? No, for the uh, the New Year's Eve bomb. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty neat place. Where, you know, you had the kitchen, the lounge. When you got the first electric to kill, you got to electrify. Yes. That was one of my favorites. I know the very first time I ever played it, I ended up having a uh... What is that when something does not go right in a game? <laughs> a glitch. Sorry, I had to think. 
uh, a glitch happened where a spicer got stuck between the door. So I just kept electrocuting them and they'd die and the door would close on them and they'd pop back up and I'd electrocute them again. And each time they dropped stuff. And then I realized it was just my game that fucked up. So I had to turn it off and turn it back on. It's like, oh, because there was one major glitch. The very first time I played Bioshock, I had to turn off the system. It was when you were at the ceiling of that area, because that's where you reminded me of it. And you were climbing on the rafters and you were going down. And there was that one staircase that was missing a bit of stairs. And you were watching the Big Daddy. For some reason, my mind said, okay, I need to back up and make a running start and jump, not knowing my character couldn't jump. Oh no, and you got stuck. I got stuck there and I couldn't go forward or back. And I remember trying to give it to to my fiance. He was like, help, I'm stuck. And he's like, I don't know even how you did this. And he had to turn it off. And I was like, they, the big daddy wasn't do. I mean, the big daddy did their shit and left and I was stuck. I'll be honest, during that scene, I always had a habit of seeing how close to the glass I could get. And I always, I almost got always to the exact same spot where he would throw the spicer through. I would always be off just a little bit, just to see what would happen. Like, would it hit you? Would you die? Like, what would happen kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit, but it was just a way for me to him haul around and you know, after you be at the limits. after you be at the first, second, third time, you kinda see what kind of bullshit you can do. Like I said, you get the first couple of playthroughs to find all the shit and then you get the rest of them to just dick around. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but oh I know for you. Story first. And then the next round is usually I'm trying to get all the achievements. Uh, for me, it's always story first. And depending on how well the gameplay and game is itself, plus the story, depends on my replayability to it. If it's got a good gameplay to it and a good story to it, then I'll replay it and try to find everything. But if it's one of those things that it's like kind of cut and paste, I'm not going to go back to it. Which is funny, because, like I said, how I do it is, you know, story, then achievements, you know, a second time. But a game I'm currently playing right now, I'm not doing that. Mine's A, I'm taking my time trying to get everything as possible. (laughs) Witcher 3, I am doing everything. I have bought that game for the Xbox and now the PlayStation and have stopped in the exact same spot on both. (laughs) I I am officially way farther than him. Like I, and not I'm not story wise. No, not story wise. Completion wise. Completion, because yes. I am going out of my way to clear the map. Like that's how precise I am being with this game. It, it, speaking of maps, is that something you guys, guys kind of wish Bioshock would have had? Like no. to be able to pop up a map and like, no. oh hey, you missed little tidbit I, I, things. I don't. I mean, yeah, it had it had the map, but I'm meaning like how like and say like The Witcher, it shows an overview map. Well, it ha- there was an overview overview maps for Bioshock. Like an active, as you're walking this way, it kind of goes with you. Yeah, like, hey, there's something over here you forgot kind of thing. And, well... This is where the audio diary is. Not just a... No, no because that, screw takes away, you. that takes away from some of the gameplay of it. Yeah, there was... There was, like, the secrets to it. That's what I loved... Like, there's the whole, uh, the, the, the mausoleum, there's the, um, trying to, uh, there's secret offices, there was the, um, 
some of the stuff you can't find until later on when you get to end there. There was specifically one before you, when you're in medical pavilion and you're going down and originally the path is blocked by ice, but there's a little, if you're, if you're going straight, you see it, but if you go underneath, there's a little office tucked right to the side. It's not extremely hidden, but it's not something in the way. And I yeah. like the fact that I can find this stuff without having, I feel like- Without your hand being held practically. Yeah. It's, it rewards the exploration compared to saying, hey, there might be something right here, go check it out. I, I feel like those kind of maps are meant for like the big uh, world. So like, like the Witcher 3. That's yeah. a yeah, gigantic not, not world. Something that's, you know, linear level. Yeah, there's a couple secrets, but it's it's a building. Yeah. yeah. But, well, that's all the episodes that we're up to right now. Uh, this being our big 10th episode. I'll be honest, we're uh, about halfway through Bioshock 1. Maybe a fourth of the way. Um, well, half is bigger than fourth. So. <laughs> Shut up. Well, honestly, you know, it's it seems like every time I think I have a bunch of stuff... You're finding more stuff. I end up finding more stuff that I, I find fascinating, and y- you, the listeners, may not... Or you may. It's stuff that you did not know. Um, I know I am kind of skipping over some stuff that it's it's seen in the first Bioshock, but not as prominent as it is in, say, like the second Bioshock. Or stuff that's happened in the first Bioshock, but I'm waiting until, like, Bioshock Infinite, where stuff happens that I'm like okay I'm gonna wait for Infinite to tell you about this that happened in also in Bioshock just so I'm not repeating myself a bunch more than need be I you know that kind of thing but well I want to be the first to say thank you Medieval Zombies for joining us in this discussion episode of everything we've had. Thank you for being our resident Bioshock expert that we can call upon at any time when we have any other questions about Bioshock anymore since her research seems to fail her. Oh, shut up. <laughs> this was very, very fun and I, I'm not the expert as you guys think because obviously you guys have taught me some stuff from your audios. Um, it's been... It's been a more absolute pleasure. It has. <laughs> well, maybe we can get you in on another one. Definitely. See if we can get definitely the fiance in too. Definitely, probably get her in a lot more on the Bioshock Two stuff since that one's her favorite. Yeah, definitely. Specifically, Minerva's death. Um, that one. Hey, you know hey, what? Hey, we'll have you come over and you can record you, yeah, that you'll episode. Do your whole we'll own have episode. you. Uh, yeah. I want to see your guys' reaction to that though. That's specifically one I want. I want to know what you. But you got it through first battle shock. So, but thank you again for coming and doing this with us, and thank you listeners for you know staying tuned with us and listening in. And remember, tell your friends, tell your family, tell whoever that you love Bioshock. Let them know. Hey, there's a Bioshock lore cast out there now. Yeah, we've already been seeing a few people following us on Twitter. We appreciate you guys greatly for it. Um, again, you can get a hold of us also on Gmail. Uh, everything will be linked in the notes below. Um, if you 
have a little like tidbit that we didn't realize and I somehow missed in my uh, notes, shoot us an email. We'll give you a shout out in the next episode and go, hey, this is what this listener found. Um, this is what they shot us. You know, we'll shoot out your name and say what you found or anything. Or even just like tell us what you think. Who would you like to hear more of or what would you like to know more of? Um, just thank you very much. Um, I think that's going to be all for tonight. This has been Valkyrie Kitten and Twisted Vice, along with Medieval Zombies, signing off for this episode of the Bioshock Lorecast. This has been Rapture, a Bioshock Lorecast. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as we go along our journey into the history and the lore of the Bioshock series. Let us know who you would like us to go over. Also, would you kindly leave us a review and follow us on our new Twitter at A Lorecast. And also, join us for the next episode.